Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. Nine minutes past nine. Good morning, this is Mick Mulcahy. A 1981 murder charge. A Cork woman was found dead 41 years ago. David Forsyth on the front page of the Echo saying a 73-year-old man appeared in court in Skibbereen in West Cork yesterday where he was charged in connection with the murder of a woman more than 40 years ago. The body of 54-year-old Nora Sheehan was found by forestry workers at the viewing point Shiphool Woods near Inishannon, County Cork, on the 12th of June 1981. The mother of three was from Ballyfehan in Cork City and was last seen alive a week before the discovery of her body when she attended a medical appointment for a dog bite at the South Infirmary Hospital in the city on June 6th, 1981. Disappeared shortly afterwards and is believed to have been murdered on a date between June 6th and June 12th, 1981. No long with an address at 28 Maldbourne Passage West County Cork appeared before Judge James McNulty at a sitting of uh, Skibbereen District Court where he was formally charged with the murder of Mrs Sheehan. Front of the Echo today. Penny Dinner's group heads for Ukraine. Is there no end to the giving uh, from Cork Penny Dinner's? Katrina Toomey and the gang uh, are pictured on the uh, in the Echo today and uh, they are heading out uh, to the Ukraine on a humanitarian mission uh, to the Ukrainian border with Poland. Yesterday evening, six volunteers from Cork Penny Dinners left Cork for Dublin, then on to Poland, where they will distribute some 80 tonnes of humanitarian aid donated by the people of Cork. Heartwarming story. Uh, Dad's Army, DA, D-A-A, Dublin Airport Authority, uh, is the tongue-in-cheek headline front of the sun today. Soldiers called in to Dublin Airport. And we're going to speak about this in more detail on the programme this morning. Around 100 soldiers will be paid 50 euros a day and twice as much on Sundays to help reduce queues at Dublin Airport. The Irish Sun is revealing they'll be stationed at external security gates to free up DAA staff for other roles after a plea to Transport Minister Eamon Ryan. And the DAA will foot the bill. The flight infantry uh, as the uh, defence forces are put on standby to save Dublin Airport will involve about 100 soldiers, could be deployed in security roles. Transport Minister Eamon Ryan yesterday asked the Cabinet for approval for the defence forces to be put on standby for two months. Isn't that a private company? So I know it's a semi-state company, but isn't it run as a private company? Not run very well, by the way. Uh, but there you go. Army is just cheap labour for airport, says the examiner's front page, Sean O'Reardon and Owen English reporting that the army should not be used as cheap labour to cover failings of the country's busiest airport. Defence Forces representative groups have warned. Racco and PD Fara both criticised the government's decision to put military personnel on standby to help with aviation security at Dublin Airport just weeks after Taoiseach Micheál Martin and Defence Minister Simon Coveney said the airport crisis was a human resources issue for the DAA to solve. It can be solved, but they won't bring back the people that they uh, let go. Uh, And uh, I can understand that... uh, It may be very difficult for existing staff to work alongside uh, former staff who got nice severance packages, but it does seem to be uh, that that they could solve it if they wanted to. Uh, But this is is a real departure from uh, what should be the role of the army. Um, but there are the defence forces in general, but there you go. Following a request from Transport Minister Eamon Ryan, Cabinet supported a decision to deploy defence force members for training and to be on standby for aviation security duties at the airport from early July. As, of course, the schools are finishing up and the huge volume of uh, holidaymakers is about to descend on Dublin Airport. It's going to be a political hot potato if there are many more missing flights. 
Ghislaine is jailed for 20 years. Victims came face to face in court. British socialite Ghislaine Maxwell has been sentenced to 20 years in prison for luring young girls to massage rooms for disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein to molest. The 60-year-old looked straight ahead and showed no emotion as a judge in the Southern District of New York passed sentence in front of a packed public gallery. Her accusers came face to face with her yesterday as several women read victim impact statements to the court describing her as a manipulative, cruel and merciless person. Maxwell, who was described as dangerous by the prosecution during her three-week trial last year helped entice vulnerable teenagers to Epstein's various properties for him to sexually abuse between 1994 and 2004. And that's in today's Daily Star. Let's hop over to uh, today's Mirror. Uh, I've finally broken his chokehold, says victim assaulted from the age of seven. A woman sexually abused by her older brother as a child has said today is the start of the rest of her life after he was jailed for three years. Kean Farrelly, 30 years of age, was a teenager when he began abusing his seven-year-old sister while he minded her in their family home in Castle Pollard in County Westmead. Her sister Aoife Farrelly, his sister Aoife Farrelly, who waived her anonymity so he can be named, said her brother had literally and metaphorically held her in a chokehold for so long but no longer would. She said she hoped he would finally pay what he had done and that he was, uh, she was determined to grow and she was de- uh, determined to heal. In her victim impact statement, she said she hoped she would never see or hear from her brother again. She added, unlike you, I'm not at fault and will no longer allow you to take up space in my mind, in my head and in my mind. Goodbye, Kian. Uh, that is uh, Farrelly of Kells Road, Old Castle, County Meath uh, and County Westmeath was uh, pleading guilty to uh, the uh, Central Criminal Court to rape and sexual assault of his sister at the family home on dates between 2007 and 2009. He had no previous convictions, uh, but is now heading jailward. Uh, now tell it to the judge, said the, uh, says the male front page people who provide character references for convicted sex offenders may have to come before the courts for cross-examination. The government is under pressure to act after 11 character witnesses were given this week in the case of a corkman whom the court heard made life a living hell for his former partner and her children. Leader of the Shannon and Fine Gael Senator Regina Doherty has said character references provided to courts are often re-traumatising for victims and people that provide them should be questioned on their veracity. Jumping back to the star, sweltering Texas heat claims lives. If you've ever been to Texas, even in the winter here, uh, it is sweltering. It is humid. It is sticky and uncomfortable. Not to mind in the middle of a summer. 50 people have died after being abandoned in a lorry trailer in the sweltering Texas heat. One of the worst tragedies to claim the lives of migrants smuggled across the border from Mexico to the US. More than a dozen people were taken to hospital uh, including four children. A city worker heard a cry for help from the truck on a lonely San Antonio back road shortly before 6pm on Monday local time and discovered the gruesome scene, Police Chief William McManus said. Hours later, body bags lay spread on the ground near the trailer and bodies remained inside as authorities responded to the tragedy. 46 people were found dead at the scene, authorities said, and four more people later succumbed to the heat exhaustion and died in hospital, said Patty Tanner, a spokesperson at the Baptist Health System in San Antonio. Pint of no return. Pub boss fears 
for the future of tourism. This is uh, on a, in the uh, sun today. Ireland's sky-high prices are forcing tourists to cut back on their spending, while some are choosing now not to come here at all. The cost of hotels and car hire have both soared since before the pandemic, while the prices of accommodation, food and fuel have all jumped because of rising inflation. Fulcher Ireland found in May that 60% of accommodation operators are down on overseas uh, visitors last year. So 60% uh, down on last year with two-thirds of respondents to a survey warning that overseas visitors' levels are down as well compared to normal. And those visitors who do come are spending less in pubs and restaurants, according to business owners. Cork, Cork publican Michael O'Donovan uh, said a lot of them would say they're only having maybe two drinks as opposed to having three or four drinks on a night out. So this is definitely having an impact. Publican Michael is the owner of the popular tourist boozer, the Castle Inn in Cork Street. We've spoken to him many times on the programme. He said we're a touristy pub in the middle of Cork City and every year we get a lot of tourists. But at present, while there are lots of tourists around, their net spend is way down. Let's go to the uh, Irish Independent uh, and uh, t- to uh, see a story where the HSE creates contingency plan to tackle future outbreaks of COVID. The HSE is preparing an emergency response plan to tackle further outbreaks of new potentially deadly COVID-19 variants or other viruses which could put pressure on the health service. The cabinet was told the HSE is developing a strategy to allow it to rapidly reactivate a testing and tracing system if there is a significant surge in cases, the impact on citizens and businesses would be considered to be relatively minor, part, uh, particularly since the bill will include provision for a reasonable excuse uh, for those who cannot wear masks. And that's on the mask situation. Um, but the HSE is going to recruit 200 National Ambulance Service personnel who will be trained to become swabbing first respondents. These new recruits will be deployed in units to scenes of major outbreaks and to mobile testing centres in communities where there is a surge in COVID cases. It's a very complicated story, uh, but you can check it out in the Irish Independent this morning. Uh, the Mirror has, uh, on that mask story, return of the mask. Compulsory mask wearing is expected to return later in the year after Cabinet Ministers agreed to prepare laws which will allow them to trigger the return of the COVID rule. Cabinet sources have said it is a precautionary move and don't expect the rule to be brought in before the doyle rises for the summer. However, a cabinet source said there's concern about the winter period and the legislation is being put in place so the government is prepared to act quickly. And not making the papers because it happened too late, but worthy of mention in our paper review uh, is an outage. The emergency call service for Ireland was out of action for over an hour during the night. The Department of Environment, Climate and Communications has confirmed the outage affected approximately... 227 callers and all those affected by the outage were subsequently followed up by the Gardaí, according to the company that manages the service. There are two emergency numbers in Ireland, 112 and 999. Both are free of charge to call. The department said it was notified this morning by BT Communications Ireland Limited, is that British Telecom, that the emergency call answering service was unable to handle calls between 1am and 2.15am. They're the contractor uh, with the department to deliver the service. So, 227 calls had to be followed by Gardaí as the emergency call system outage lasted for over an hour. Now, it's not often two days in a row we speak to Barry Roach, Irish Times Southern correspondent, and it normally means uh, there's not very happy news, but this is the Nora Sheehan murder story in Ballyfehan, which Barry has been very, very comprehensively covering. Good morning, Barry. 
Good morning, Mick. How are you doing? No, good. You're a 73-year-old man charged uh, quite quickly, actually, in, in, the, in the scheme of things, with the murder of a 54-year-old mother of three. Uh, and this, of course, uh, is harking all the way back to 1981. Bring us up to speed, if you will. Yes, Mick, as, as you, you say, it's a 41-year-old murder investigation. Um, certainly in terms of ones I can recall, it's the longest running, I suppose, or the, long, the furthest back that I can, can recall, certainly 41 years. But back in June uh, 1981, a woman called Nora Sheehan, she was 54 at the time, she was a mother of three, she had three sons aged 16 to 22 at the time. She had uh, gone to the South Infirmary uh, to be treated for a, a dog bite to her arm, and uh, she was treated in the accident emergencies. It was then there, and um, was last seen outside the hospital at about I think uh, nine, sometime after nine o'clock in the evening. Uh, that was the last sighting of her. And then about six days later, on June the twelfth, nineteen eighty-one, a forester working down at Shipwell Wood uh, near in Shannon, um, at a place called the Viewing Point, he discovered her body and a post-mortem revealed she died a violent death. Gardy began um, a murder investigation uh, and I suppose that it's 41 years ago, no, but about six years ago, uh, a cold case reviewer or a serious crime review investigator looked at the case and he felt it was one that might actually yield progress. So a team was put in place um, based in Bandon, I think, and they began uh, a further investigation or re- a, renew- a review of the case and a file was sent to DVP and uh, this direction came back, uh, I think, on Monday evening to charge a suspect in that case and yesterday a man called Noel Long. He's from Malbourne in Passage West. He's 73. He was brought before the Skibreen District Court and he was charged with the murder of Nora Sheen at a place unknown on a date unknown between June the 6th and June the 12th, 81, contrary to common law. Uh, Detective Inspector Raymond Brady of McCroom Garda Station gave evidence to arrest charging caution and he told how he arrested Miss Long at his home in Malbourne and Passage West at about quarter to nine yesterday and conveyed him to Bandon Garda Station for the purpose of charge. And then he told the court that at 11.04am in Bandon he charged Mr Long with the murder of Miss Sheehan and that Mr Long made no reply to the charge when it was put to him after caution. Uh, in cases, murder cases, um, people are charged with murder, charged in the district court, and the district court doesn't actually have the power to grant bail. Uh, Sergeant Paul Kelly, the court presenter, said that the DVP had directed that the trial, that the case be dealt with by way of trial by indictment at the Central Criminal Court, and the DPP had also consented to Mr. Long being sent forward and assigned plea of guilty if he so consented to do that, but of course there's no onus on him to do that. He can contest and uh, deny the charge and contest the case. Sergeant Kelly said that because uh, the point that somebody is accused of murder, they can't apply for bail in the district court, so there was no issue of bail yesterday, and he was applying to have Mr. Long remanded in custody to appear again in Clannock Guilty District Court uh, on July the 5th, which is next uh, Tuesday and Judge James McNulty, McNulty rather, my apologies, uh, granted that application. He remained Mr. Long in custody to appear in clinic guilty and he also granted him free legal aid. Mm. Uh, no long solicitor Eddie Burks told the client or told the court that his client was a 73 year old man 
in receipt of a state pension. He also, he said, had several medical issues and he asked Judge McNulty to request the authorities at Cork Prison where he would be held on remand uh, to ensure that he received all, medical, all necessary medical attention and treatment while on remand and Judge McNulty uh, said he, authorities would, uh, he'd be medically examined on his arrival but he also ordered that his list of, Mr Long's list of medication be attached to the committal warrant so that they would know what he was on as it were. Um, no, no long he uh, didn't really speak during the short hearing other than to confirm his identity when the case is called um, and as I say it's come back to next week um, the background as I say was that uh, as I say she disappeared out, nor she disappeared uh, outside the Southern Infirmary her last sighting for rather was outside the Southern Infirmary at about 9.45pm on June the 6th so it's a, it's a long time ago and obviously I gather that um, the Garda team would have briefed her, her sons now who are all middle-aged men I suppose uh, as to the development in the case but um, no it's uh, certainly is, in terms of ones that, ones that I've covered it certainly is by far the longest uh, Yeah because at, at this stage you, you, you can imagine they must have brought some closure over time to the situation but now at least that they can affect that healing and closure possibly a bit better. Now that's notwithstanding uh, of course Mr Long's rights to contest and, and, and do whatever but it does seem that even though things happened very quickly yesterday, that this has been built on a foundation of a serious reinvestigation over the last six years. Yes, I mean, they've put in the serious um, review team have uh, put in quite a lot of work, my understanding is, over the last six years, so obviously they had to reach a certain threshold as it were to, uh, for the DPP to give a direction, and uh, the DPP did that, so as I say, yesterday's court case was uh, the sequel to, to that investigation, but uh, it's only the first step in a, in a case which I suppose Given the certain number of cases coming before the Central Criminal Court, you're probably looking at a year or so down the road before mm-hmm. we, this comes to trial. But um, in the meanwhile, uh, Mr. Long, I presume, will apply for bail in the High Court, as he's uh, entitled to do, and uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes from there uh, in due course. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, his medical conditions have been noted, and uh, of course, his list of medication attached to the committal, attached to the committal warrant, uh, so that he may ensure. Uh, you know, so that the state may ensure he receives all necessary medical treatment while on remand. Absolutely, yes. As I say, the prison authorities will be conscious of that and the fact that the judge uh, ordered the list of medications to be attached to the warrant. Uh, they'll, they'll obviously be aware of everything that he, he needs and requires when he's in for whatever time he's in for before he, he applies for bail and presumably gets it. Okay. Barry, thanks once again for that comprehensive report in the Irish Times and for detailing it to us on the Neil Prendeville Show. Thanks and good morning. All the best. Cheers. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Now then, let's uh, go to some of our uh, quite considerable mail and texts uh, that have come in over the last few days. And I want to get to uh, a response to an article uh, that we did, uh, an item we did on the programme uh, where we had a mum... Uh, complaining that her daughter would have serious concerns going on holidays uh, because of uh, what allegedly happened in uh, a nail and beauty clinic uh, where she went for a pedicure. And we've had a response uh, from that clinic. Now, we didn't name it at the time, uh, but they are writing us directly now. So, uh, to whom it may concern, my name is Tu Ha Lei. Uh, firstly, we would like to stress how deeply regret- regrettable it is that Dana had this experience at our salon yesterday. Uh, when the accident occurred, we immediately cleaned the area and treated the area with disinfectant. 
We put an antiseptic powder on the area to keep it dry and clean. We explained we could not continue with the pedicure because of the injury, but we would give her a voucher to have the pedicure done at a later date. We completed the service of shellac on the toenails and did not charge for this, of course. We were very concerned for our customer's well-being and satisfaction. We ensured she felt okay before leaving the salon and were extremely apologetic. This unfortunate incident is drawing media attention and affecting our business and our staff, so I would like to take the chance to address a few points for clarification. First of all, we acknowledge that a picture of Dana's wound was shared on social media. In the picture, the wound itself is a small circle in the centre, and the red around is powder and cream which congealed around the area. The picture might be misleading and is attractive, negative respond, attracting neg- negative responses on social media, even though it's not anyone's intention. I would also like to point out and have corrected that it is not burn, as Mick mentioned when speaking with Stephanie, the red around the area is blood which came from the greys. I believe we cleared that up on air, and I apologise and correct if we didn't. Dana's service was being uh, provided by a fully qualified staff member with years of experience behind her. It was unfortunately a mistake that was purely human error. It was a rare and isolated incident that shouldn't have occurred, and we will ensure it doesn't again. Secondly, I would also like you to know that I've been trying to contact Stephanie, Dana's mom, a lot of time to try and assist her with whatever help they need and to resolve the dissatisfaction they understandably feel. After it had been publicised, I spoke with Stephanie, and we've come to an agreement with her, and she understands it's a purely human mistake. And she agreed to take down the post to avoid further misunderstanding. I hope that the social media community can please be considerate. Only comment and share with responsibility. It is to protect our staff and our business. We hope this response will conclude the situation and hope everyone can see that we care about our customers and we are continuously improving our service and providing you with only the best treatment and services. Uh, thank you very much for your uh, understanding. Best regards to Ha Lei. Uh, now, I'm not sure calling out the name of the clinic uh, is appropriate, but it's uh, seeing as uh, it has come, up, uh, come to us uh, directly. And it does seem like a very, very heartfelt and caring letter to what was, uh, and we now accept that was, uh, was, was human error. Uh, I thought that the, uh, the white congealed area was damaged skin, but that was corrected on the air, uh, when, uh, Dana's mum, Stephanie said, no, 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 that's just, uh, that's just, uh, talcum powder or, or uh, you know, powder that has congealed, uh, and it looks a hell of a lot worse than it is. Uh, but to everyone in Regina Nails and Beauty, uh, happy to read out your clarification and, uh, that uh, it does come across that you're you're caring and sensitive in the situation here. It is unfortunate. It was human error. And it does seem to us like you're doing everything to correct the situation. And we thank you for that uh, clarification. Now, there's one other letter. I could actually read all the letters and texts that come into this program since last week and not take a caller on the air, but that's not where uh, what we're about. Uh, there are dozens, if not hundreds of them. Uh, one, This one about an alienated father, because we touched on this last week. Hi Mick, I'm a father to a young child and I've been alienated from her for the last three months. I've seen a message on your Facebook page with some people saying, where are the fathers? I pay my maintenance every week without fail and there is no court order for this. I just know it's what I have to do as a parent, the right thing to do. I was the main parent to my child for the better part of four years as my ex worked full time and I went part time to take care of our child. The relationship started to break down. Uh, Then finally last year it ended. This was hard on our child, but I tried to make everything as easy as possible. After a while, I started dating someone 
Uh, and this is when my ex started changing plans for myself and our child. Then towards the end of the last year, she stopped me from having any contact at all and put a protection order in place, accusing me of domestic violence, all of which is false. I don't see my child over Christmas and New Year now anymore, and this was the hardest period of my life. In January, we went to court, and I was granted access. This was great. Up until March, when I got a new job. We went back to court in April, and I was granted every second weekend, and from that day, I've not seen my child. And that's all down to her mother refusing to let me see my kid. I still pay my maintenance and still turn up to the meeting point every second weekend, and even though I never see them. Uh, I took in a breach of access form to the court and I was told there was nothing the court could do. I believe there should be consequences for anyone who breaks a court order, stops access or stops paying maintenance. I believe men don't get off easy. We fight for our kids and the law is constantly on the mother's side. But I know this happens to lots of people and there should be a look at the legal system. The only people being hurt are the children who are caught in the middle. Kind regards, and please keep my details private, uh, as it, uh, it is a sensitive issue. But what a very, very heartfelt letter in response to that claim or that question on our social media from an initial email saying, where are the fathers? Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104 106 Red FM. Daz Army, uh, a play on the old Dad's Army uh, comedy TV show uh, as the comedy of errors continues at Dublin Airport. Flight infantry is uh, one of the headlines in today's morning papers as our defence forces are put on standby to save Dublin Airport. Around 100 soldiers could be deployed in security roles to help cut queues at Dublin Airport. And I'm joined on the line by Mark Keane, who's the president of PD Fora. PD Fora is the uh, Defence Forces Representative Association, Mark, is it? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Morning. Right, yeah, we represent upwards of 6,500 people across the three arms of the Defence Forces, Army, Naval Service and Air Corps, not enough. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in my tenure for the few short weeks a year I do this programme, I've tried my best uh, to be a friend to the Defence Forces, to highlight pay and condition issues and all that kind of thing. And um, this really, I, I seem to remember um, in my youth that the army were deployed when Cork was awash with rubbish, when there was a huge bin strike, uh, if I remember correctly. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 10 years ago today when uh, when Blackpool was flooded, I believe you may have been uh, deployed there to give some humanitarian aid. But this is essentially the army going into work for, although titled... Uh, a semi-state company, it's actually run like a private, like or as a private company. Has there been precedence for this? No, no, and this is something that, that that's, uh, you know, we, we can't understand. As you rightly said, you know, the Defence Forces have been deployed in many roles over many years and most recently, as you said, the flooding in Cork also, the, the storm of Philia, snow, when the snow, the beast from the east, all all this happened. We understand all that. That's what we're there for. We're like an insurance policy that you hope you never want to use, but if something does happen, like the fire brigade, you want to have them, but you never want to use them. But this is something totally different. This is taking the, the security arm of the state and putting them in to do private industries work. Mm-hmm. So this is a different story to uh, being called in uh, in an emergency. I know you serve in uniform. I know you operate um, by necessity under military law. Uh, in that sense, you probably have to do as the politicians dictate. So is this something you guys can refuse to do or are you allowed to uh, form any sort of combative or strike action, uh, e- even a moral stand uh, to say, no, we're not doing it? As you rightly point out, we wear a uniform and we are subject to military law. 
No, we, we will do the task assigned to us by government of the day, and that's something that we've always done in our long uh, history of service to the state. Our members, whilst we're, we're, we don't agree with this, our members will still go ahead and do it. They will be deployed to Dublin Airport next next Monday or next Tuesday, and they will t- do the tasks assigned to them. The, the issue we have is there was no consultation. As far back as April, even May, the Taoiseach said that we wouldn't be deployed. The Minister for Defence echoed that and said it wouldn't be a role suitable for the Defence Forces. Yeah, if I remember correctly, Michael Martin said it's a human resources issue. Yes, and, you know, why should the Defence Forces be employed then to, you know, solve the HR issues for a private company? Our members are trained for peacekeeping duties, for security duties, for deployment overseas, deployment to, you know, Port Leash Prison, prisoner escorts, protection of state assets not as we, we still don't even know what role we're going to play we still don't know what those 100 150 soldiers will do we don't know how long they'll be deployed for i know the minister has used the terminology that they're on standby they, they won't be deployed it'll be six weeks but the holiday season won't finish in six weeks time the airport this has gone on for many many months as i said when's the end game mm. Yeah, the, the bounce back in demand for travel has, is, has been building its a pent-up demand over the last two and a half to three years. But it's coming back stronger, I think, than uh, obviously than the DAA uh, reckoned for uh, when, when they let so many of the security staff go. Now, let's get, just for our listeners' sake, to the hub of the issue here. They've already deployed cleaning staff, uh, which have the uh, requisite airside pass. You need an airside security clearance to go on the airplane side of the airport, if you like, past security. Those cleaning staff were brought in already to supplement the uh, the security staff who are doing the vetting and the, the searching and the, you know, the electronic stuff that your bag goes through. Uh, and so the airport has become progressively dirtier. Um, there is a golden bullet here, but the DAA don't seem to want to uh, accept it as so. They don't want to grasp the nettle. That is, some of the people that they, uh, that they let go, uh, you know, who have, I believe, signed agreements now that they wouldn't come back and work, could be very, very quickly deployed. The DAA does not seem to want to do that. Uh, and as such, do you feel it's unfair that the army is being called in to do it instead? Very much so. As I said, we're being used to solve a HR problem, which the C-Truck said this this was. They published roadmaps as far back as last year, six months ago, for all the different sectors, the entertainment sector, the hospitality sector, aviation sector, People forecast this, that there would be, and it seems that nothing has changed, and then, in time of crisis, call in the army and they'll do the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about, is it about six months ago we had commitment from, uh, is it Simon Coveney, I think, uh, who's the uh, relative responsible minister, that uh, there would be, and we've seen a huge advertising campaign uh, trying to attract young people into the Defence Forces. How's that going? Has, has the money been put in place? Is the recruitment uh, moving apace? Unfortunately, the Commission on Defence was launched six months ago and it's something we welcomed at the time and we pushed very hard for and we engaged over a long period of time with the Commission and we welcomed our findings. We're six months out. None of those findings, bar one, has been implemented. We still haven't seen the investment, not alone the equipment, but the people. The the recruitment campaign has started. It will take a lot. It, it does take time for these things to gather momentum. We are still down upwards of 1,500 people and we feel that this doesn't portray, portray the defence forces as a very attractive career. We're going to train your soldiers for deployment and security roles and deployment overseas, but also we'll deploy you in Dublin Airport in the support of a private company. Mm. Do what yet? We don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't add to the already low morale that we have. Okay, um, just to be the devil's advocate here, and uh, you know, if the wages are so low, 
then surely the 52 euros a day doubling on a Sunday would be welcome uh, to, to people who are in the Defence Forces. It would be a nice supplement to their weekly or monthly wage. Well, unfortunately, that, that is subject to tax and also it's long periods and this this will not take you... This won't be your primary task in your primary role. In between this, you will still do your normal job. The, the operational tempo of the Defence Forces still will have to be maintained. The operation capability in the battle rhythm of the Defence will still have to be maintained. So everything else we were scheduled to do and that we're supposed to do, that still will have to happen in tandem with this. I know it's 100, 150 people, but we have to have the logistics staff to back that up as well, the transportation, the feeding of these people, transportation, as I said. As I said they're taking out certain units who are already at very low levels. So it's a domino effect. So everything then has it goes back one. And then also, we've commitments lined out since last year, the start of the year. They still have to be done. Mm. So if we had meat on the bone, we could accept, we could manage these taskings, but unfortunately we don't. And also, it still doesn't add up to a great sum of money for what could be a 12 or a 14 or a 24 hour day, an extra 52 euro. Ironically, I think, you know, people won't work in Dublin, you know, go back to those roles under the DEA because they feel 10, 15 hours isn't sufficient. And we're actually going to pay people less than that again. Did, didn't we have the same situation at the time you were kind of supplementing security forces or the, or the Guardi uh, for the visit of Pope Francis? Yes, it, it, it's, it's ironic that both, you know, both arms of the state for security are, are treated different when it comes to payment. It, it's something that's ironic. Uh, you've seen the concerts in Cork, you've seen... Mosgrave Park, Independent Park, you've seen the, the Marquis, uh, Parky Cueve, you've seen the, the security staff, private security, and on the guard issue, kind of doing their policing role. That money comes from, you'd know better than I would, you know, the organisers of these conferences, our concerts and events, they pay for the policing bill. We're now asking the state to supplement again Dublin Airport Authority and then pay our members less than a minimum wage of ten fifteen hour for doing it. Way less. But well, the DAA are going to pay you, not 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 the government, not the taxpayer. DAA Communications boss Kevin Cullinan, as a corpsman, uh, said the operator at DAA would pay the defence forces their remuneration, uh, but that it may be different to what the DAA staff are being paid. See, uh, he also yeah. said the public wouldn't necessarily see them, but they'd be doing a very important role of checking all vehicles coming in and out of the airport. Yes, but does it lend itself to a cage meter of Alja that if you're arriving or departing the airport and what you see is military personnel checking your vehicles, stopping vehicles, or is the first thing to point the car? You know, fair I, point, actually. We, we won't have face-to-face contact in the customer role service. I understand that we won't be doing security checks, but the plane lands and the first thing you see is a soldier or you're, you're departing or arriving. Does it, you know, tourist industry, does it lend it to us, lend it to the, the image we want for the country as well? Okay, do you have to wear your uniform? Uh, and if not wearing the uniform, does that kind of go against your charter? I think we would have to wear the uniform because, naturally enough, we're subject to military law and people would have to know who we are and also we're, we would be dealing, I take it, with civilian staff in the WA Airport Authority. We'd also probably have to liaise with the airport police who are like on Gavrichia Connor to have you know the authority within the confines of the airport there the, the policing authority so you'd have to do it to differentiate from who was who mm-hmm. enough. Okay we've contacted both Cork members of the Transport Committee Jerry Buttermer and James O'Connor uh, and they say they have reservations about the move but they need more information before forming a full opinion. Yes, uh, unfortunately this was something that was announced just by way of a press release around 11 o'clock so like 
I suppose the, the, the Senator and the Deputy, we're only hearing about it yesterday. It does take time to, to trawl through this and, you know, the devils in the detail, but the, the reaction from our members on the ground and Peter Ford as an organisation is that we don't think it's something that portrays the defence forces in best light. It's not something that our members feel that is part of their taskings. Uh-huh. They're soldiers, they're trained soldiers, they're trained to go overseas, trained, insecure. It doesn't doesn't seem to be what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and not for crowd marshalling at, at our main airport. Uh, despite the, uh, the the obvious need of the public to get away and despite the heavy bookings that are going to be coming. All right, uh, where do you take it from here, Mark? you just got to follow orders, I guess, is it? Yes, yes, in, indeed. As I said, we will turn up as as requested by Dublin Airport. Authority. Our members will will put the shoulder to the wheel and do the job. We've done it for the last two years during COVID. I know many, many other public servants have, and I know nurses, doctors, nursing aides and catering staff in many hospitals have done it, and we will continue to support those people as well. I imagine there are many, many taskings that you are proud to undertake, but this will not be one of them. No, unfortunately not. There is a sense of pride when you wear the uniform. There is a sense of pride in the job and the taskings we undertake. We've seen the Naval Service serving down the Mediterranean, our soldiers serving overseas, and also our Air Corps joining the emergency mercy missions, air ambulance, or flying COVID samples abroad, or sea search rescues. Okay. You know, that's our primary task. That's what we're here for. Mark, uh, Mark Keane, President of PD4, I'm going to let you go because we've had uh, dozens, you, of, dozens of texts when I mentioned Dad's Army. Uh, people thought I was saying Dad's Army and they want to hear the original uh, soundtrack. Uh, so in, in no way am I associating uh, this with you no, guys and I respectfully release you. Okay, thanks. Thank you again. Thanks a million. But for those textures, here's that very nostalgic piece of music. What a great nostalgic memory there. Dad's Army, remember watching it growing up and uh, it was uh, Clive Dunn, don't panic. Uh, who was, uh, Arthur Lowe was uh, Captain Mannering, wasn't it? And there was, remember uh, Pikey, uh, young Pike. Uh, he was also, he turned up as an older, much older man in uh, EastEnders many, many years later. But it was a great, great show for its time. Dad's Army by popular request. Now to more important things and rip off Ireland uh, on the way in the next topic. A quick call uh, for, from Dan before we do that. Uh, I love the way this show just goes organically. Anything can happen. Hi, Dan, live radio. What do you want to talk about? Morning, Mick. No, just reading a, a article here now a couple of years ago on one of the Sunday papers. It says 139 million euros savings in defence was returned to the Department of Finance. And they have treated... Million. Yeah. And that was over, that was between 2014, I think, and between 2019. And those, those soldiers, and the wives of those soldiers have been looking for justice for those people for the last, I don't know, 100 years, is that what it is? I, 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 I spoke to many wives and partners of Defence Force. You did, of course, of course, members, course you did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just trying to highlight, because they can't come on themselves, they're precluded from no, doing they so. they can't, no, no. Because they operate like in they, uniform. Yeah. But make they have treated us soldiers very badly for the last couple of years. They have, and the only way those soldiers can make money is by is by going is by going on by going on foreign trips, going yeah. out into places all over the world. That's it, the only way they can make extra money. The recruitment campaigns are very very sexy. Uh, it, has, it has to be yeah, okay. said. But the reality of the day, especially in these inflationary times, is it's all yeah, about the money, and the money right. just isn't there for them. The money's just no, not. It's there, but it's not on offer. Shall, shall I put it that way? I saw I saw Simon yesterday in the all he was talking about some new navy ship coming in. You know, the impression that I got. He was talking about next year, but in the next breath he said uh, it could happen in the next four or five years a new, a new navy ship coming in. 
and like they, they, they're putting things on the long finger the whole time especially pay and things like that mm-hmm. Okay, it's a hot topic. We'll take we'll take it up another time. But I, I do appreciate your concern for how badly soldiers are financially at least treated uh, by successive governments. Six months ago, we were think, told things were going to change. Recruitment campaign, uh, increased salaries, increased allowances. I think it's yet to happen. Dan, thanks very much. Thanks, Mick. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. 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 Bye. Text. Don't panic, Mr. Mulcahy. Ian Lavender was the name of the man who played Pike. I was thinking on my feet, just couldn't remember it. But yes, you'll also find he uh, played an older character in EastEnders. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Seven minutes to ten o'clock and thanks for holding. Is it Paul or Paul Brannock? Paul. Paul Brunner. Paul would do, Paul do fine, Mick. Paul, Paul Walsh. Oh, Paul Walsh, okay. So you're the owner of Three Little Piggies, a much-renowned eatery uh, at the Riverside there at the end of Copley Street. Uh, that's correct, yeah, on the corner of Union Quay. Honor of Union Quay. I remember it when it was a telecom van depot. I used to work there back in the early 80s. Anyway, a uh, quick comment on Dublin Airport before we get to what you saw this morning. You think it's madness the army are being drafted in? Well... Basically, Mick, the, the Dublin airport, the contracts they're offering security and everything like that are disgraceful. Uh, the hours they're offering, the wage they're offering, they're not guaranteeing 40 hours. And what's the answer? We're bringing the army. So Dublin airport are getting away with us. Yeah, subventing what's essentially being run as a private company. I know it's a, it's a technically semi-state. Anyway, rip-off Ireland continues. This morning you went to Circle K on the Black Rock Road. Uh, now I know that garage. And uh, is that Charlie Murphy's one? Uh, if, if it is, uh, I've, I've used it for many, many years. It's a great spot. But that's not what you're here to talk about. You're here to talk about an Arctic truck that was filling up with diesel. What happened? I, I, as I got into the deli, there was a, a chap just had finished filling his, his Arctic truck. No, he was hauling grain to the port. Okay. And he got up in front of me in the, in the, in the, in the shop and he proceeded to pay for it. I was, I nearly fell through the floor, Mick. It was just shy of 1,000 euros Wow! that man paid with a credit card. And the young lad behind the counter said to him, he goes, well, he goes, that's, that's a big one. He said, what would it have been last November? He said 700 euros. So it's and 300 up since last 300 November. 300 euros up since last November, that man to fill his truck. I, I, I nearly dropped dead in the ground. I felt so sorry for the man. I would, I, I would imagine hauling grain to the port would not be the most lucrative or profitable enterprise in the world. It's a hard job, and I respect what he's doing. Um, but that's a hell no, and I know it's going to take uh, more than one run to the port to use up that one thousand euros worth of fuel. Um, but that is staggering—a thousand euros to fill his truck. A thousand, no, a thousand euros. Like I, I assume he had a bit of fuel left in his truck before he pulled in to to fill her up, so that wasn't even a full tank, I'd say. Now, is this Circle K at that? Is this, it's a Circle K at the junction of Monaghan Road? Yes. Oh, yes, sorry. Yes, I, th- yes. I thought it was the one down close to the Black Rock Castle, Charlie Murphy's one. My apologies. No, the Black uh, the junction, Black Rock Roundabout there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, I, I imagine that this guy obviously he was um, he was his truck mark. He was from McCroom. <clears throat> I imagine that he's filling that truck at least three times a week, and. I was watching a few clips of the doll and one of the independents were saying that the the government are taking 49 cents of every euro. So 490 euro. 490 euro of that over the counter that man paid is gone to the government. I watched another clip online of an independent tackling Michal Martin. Normally the government would take 2.5 billion euros a year on their duty on fuel and stuff like that. 
they're on target this year to take 6.5 billion. Wow, the hard-pressed motorist is really paying through the nose, aren't they? Yeah, no, I've seen this in the Delhi Mick. Obviously, that man is, is hauling that grain to the port. He's got 300 extra to fill his tank. Obviously, the farmer's got to pay more to, to grow the crop. He's got to pay more to harvest the crop. We're paying more to ship it, to, to mill it, to wow. bake it, and everything like that. Uh, my, my increase since the start of the year from all suppliers across the board is 30% in the Delhi. 30% over the last year is your supply, it's your it's inward it's supply it's cost increase. It's the start of the year. It's wow. the start of the year. Paul, I, I, don't have any, I don't have much more time to, to explore the subject, but can you come back to us perhaps after news uh, and we'll try I and kick this course, off. Yeah. Let, let's, let's kick off this rip off Ireland thing because here we have on one hand a government who are very quickly able to introduce emergency legislation uh, to uh, take more tax uh, in, in, in respect of uh, the uh, universal social charge. But uh, no, we can't act un- until October to help the hard-pressed. And I'd love to explore that after news at 10. I'll come back to you then, Paul. Thank you very much. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Touching a nerve here with uh, Rip Off Ireland. And uh, to continue the, uh, the conversation, Paul Walsh, thanks for holding over the news. Uh, just to recap, uh, you saw somebody paying a thousand euros for diesel. Uh, for with, This is a private operator. You could uh, you could lean that from the uh, from the signage on the side of his truck. And uh, that was 700 euro last uh, November. So that's a 300 euro increase. The government, of course, taking 490 of that circa 1,000 euros. Uh, things not much different supply chain-wise in Three Little Piggies. Your very uh, popular deli on Union Quay with a 30% increase from, from suppliers from the start of the year. Now, you can't take that hit, Paul. It has to be passed on. It has to be passed on, Mick, yeah. We, we've actually... I went with a price increase the time of the year because I knew things were going to... Was in, the energy bills had gone up anyway, at least 60% at that stage was electric and, and gas, you know. Mm-hmm. And I knew that we had to go to an increase, but then when things went pear-shaped altogether, uh, February into March, we had to go with a second increase. We had to pass it on. And so you, you've had restricted opening times through the pandemic. I know you were uh, fighting on the allocation of outside chairs at one stage at Three Little yes. Piggies. On, on top of the 30%, they reduced hours, probably not no, little or no uh, recourse from the uh, local council on your rates, uh, or did you get a did you get a reduction? You can clarify that. But you've they, had they they did um, there was uh, there was reduction on rates, and they, they wrote off rates as well for for uh, a good period of last year. Again, Mick was things were locked down, so the council have been very proactive in, in that end, you know. But anything that you did save was wiped out again straight away by by increased energy costs, you know. Yes, for um, anyone who thinks you're operating a cash printing machine in Three Little Piggies, you've had to, had oh, to also deal with about a 70% increase in energy costs over the last year and a bit. Oh, big time. Like, we, we increased our prices. Everything, everything in the deli, say if you were paying a euro last year for something in, in the deli, you're now paying one euro thirty. And what we see of that is absolutely nothing. That's just to balance the books on increases across the board from everybody. The only people that are winning... On the end of at the end of this, are energy suppliers and the government. Mm, Batman, the like Batman, the as they call him. Like out, out of the euro, say that you spent last year, the government would take twenty cents of that. No, you're paying one euro thirty. The government are taking twenty six cents. Energy suppliers are taking the rest of us, 
Um, our suppliers are increasing their costs as well. People need to understand that they're not making money on this either. This is just to balance their books. Yeah, it, it's, it's a supply chain. You, you, your items pass through many hands from grower to distributor to deliverer or whatever to your shelf. Yes. Uh, and yes. all of those elements of the supply chain have to feed their families. Exactly. And like with all the people are, I see, people, come here, people are complaining and rightly so, but don't, don't blame the, the cafes, the restaurants, the bars or the shops or anything like that. They're not seeing any extra profits out of this. Like all we'll hear about, we heard about it last week, the week before, last month, the month before, the government are talking about record tax takes. Yeah, and and even more so this year, but they still can't bring in an emergency budget to help people quickly. Stay with me for a second, Paul. Alan, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? How are you, Mike? Very good, and yourself? I'm good, thanks. Last year, I think I'm in the same boat here, I paid uh, about 460, 480 euros for 1,000 litres of kerosene just a year ago. Sorry, two years ago, in June 2020. Last year, if I remember, it was about 620. Um, what, what, What is it now? No, fifteen hundred for the same amount, two years on. From four hundred and sixty to fifteen hundred in two 1500 years. Fifteen hundred dollars for a thousand litres of kerosene heat now, and I pissed the people for the winter coming on, mm-hmm. trying to heat the home and kids going to school, etc. You know. Yeah, because I, I, I heard some somewhere on, uh, on on the radio during the week that a bag of coal was 45 euros, and I said, that must be a mistake. I was paying kind of 18, 20, 22 euros for a bag uh, at one stage, and it, that now has seems to have doubled as well. That's gone up as well, the coal, you know. And for instance, no, Mike, I was driving in the Montferm Road just there, and I looked at the price of diesel in the pumps, and I went from there down to the Carrigan Strait and it was five cents a litre cheaper. Two minutes drive. It, it pays you to know? shop around because uh, the, there are varying prices all over the place now. Yeah, it's a pity it all goes along with the same price. Yeah, know? but look, if, you know, if, if garage A gets in a supply and, and can sell it at two, two euros and five, petrol or diesel, uh, and, and then... Three days later, while that supply is still being dwindled down, uh, the price goes up. You're going to see the next garage down the road who got supply that day having to charge more. So let's not blame the, the garage operators here either. Uh, then you'll see the leapfrog because the first garage will be more than the second garage uh, or filling station. I keep calling it a yeah. garage. That's what I mean. But it's down the line with everything, you know. I I enjoy them, what would you call them, they're they're kind of in means, like fishermen's friends. That's what they are. Right. And they're hot. I went in, I went in and got a package. They're usually one fifty. Like I gave two euros, and I was still waiting for the change. She said, "That's right. That's Fifty pence up, no problem." Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, and, and you, you don't notice it on individual items until you go now and again to buy them. But th- thanks, Alan. Uh, 1,000 litres of kerosene in June 2020 for 460. The same amount is now 1,500. 1,500, and that's for two old-age pensioners, Mick. Okay. Uh, not sure if we still have Paul on the line. Maybe we could get him back. I think I may have inadvertently uh, cut him off. But thanks, uh, Alan. Thank you very much. Okay, Mike. Thanks. Have a good day. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Kieran is on line four. Haulier in North Cork. Hi, Kieran. Hello, how's it going? Very good. I just had a text from a friend of mine, actually, who's a haulier, uh, Finton Caulfield. 
of Coalfield Transport, uh, who said because, you know, because of the huge increases in cost, I'll gladly take 10 army drivers tomorrow. If they're in the business of helping out private companies, then give us some support as well. It's a joke supporting any sector of private industry. So I'd say you could do with some free drivers as well, could you? It's beyond a joke now at this stage. Okay, you're, you're a haulier in North Cork. You put €3,500 into the tank. That's the central tank for the business, I guess. Yeah, how long will that last €3,500, we think this. Okay, how long will that last you? Friday. <laughs> this is Wednesday. Yeah, Friday. How many trucks? There's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot of them, anyway. Okay. And what do you deliver? It's, it's uh, feed, cattle feed. Okay. Uh, there, there's but, all uh, this is all don't this is all greed. There's not, this is all just don't kill greed. There's there's no war in the country. It's just don't greed. Whatever people savings have, they want to clean the whole lot of it. That's what this is don't. It's, uh, it's just pure not greed that's out there. So all all, all, all the, the money that people that saved over the pandemic is now being attacked. Yes, it's all this three hundred and fifty euros that, that all these got these freeloaders got that don't want to get off their ass and do it as work. Okay. This is what this is all, don't I? I'm seeing it myself. You can't get no one today to do anything. And if they start the job, they won't even finish it. They won't even come and look at it. I heard of certain tradespeople, skilled tradespeople like plasters and electricians, demanding uh, between 800 and 1,000 euros a day. Yeah, greed. What about greed on behalf of the government? It's, it's all greed. And, uh, and now they're looking to go and attack your universal social charges as well. They're looking out to put that up in the budget big time. That came in very fast, didn't it? And it was only meant to be yeah, temporary. and that was only supposed to be a temporary, temporary job. Let me give you the, uh, the breakdown of... Uh, uh, I'll go on petrol, right? I know because I know, petrol is a higher tax um, when you get to the bottom line. The pump price of petrol on average in Ireland today is 213.2 cent. 2 euros, 13.2 cent. Mm-hmm. The, the price before taxes are added... Uh, is uh, 1.0856 euro, okay? So 108 cent. So it's effectively doubling the price, uh, the supply price. These taxes, and there are three, uh, go as follows. 62.77 cent goes in excise, including carbon tax. And then there's two cent, which goes on NORA. Now, I believe NORA is the National Oil Reserve Agency. They get two cent out of it. And the VAT at 23%, is uh, 39.87 cent. Why isn't that down to 9% uh, VAT instead of 23? So the no, total... just another coin going anywhere. Yeah, total taxes are 104 cent, 1 euro and 4 cent uh, on every litre uh, is going to taxes and essentially the government. Yeah, being screwed. That's 49.08%. Uh, similar pricing uh, relates to diesel, but the total tax stake for the government there is something like 44.59%. Still very, very high, isn't it? Scandalous. This is all just down to pure greed. People go to the wall, Kieran? The war, the war, the war. The war has nothing to do with this. I, I, I'm going to the stage now if there's any war there. No, not uh, the war. Said a lot of not the war. Not the war. I, I, said, I said, will people go to the wall? Yeah, they'll be going to the wall very shortly. Wow. I talked to a milk man, a man with two trucks on the road this morning, drawing milk, and he's going to be gone by the end of the year. He has two trucks, drawing milk, and is looking... And he's going to be gone to the wall by the end of the year. One cent a litre is all they gave. They went looking for an increase, and all they gave was a cent on diesel. One cent a litre. 
What's the What's the solution here? Is Is it for people in the haulage business the essential part of every supply chain to have some may, maybe personal subvention for the diesel? So I, I think there's a major stand needed on the roads. Same with the RSA. They're only on the roads at the moment. Uh, they're haunting the roads at the moment. Go out to Weybridge and Mallow and uh, all they're doing is just trying to stifle money out of people. And there's about 20, 25 of them blowing rats off every couple of days and uh, haunting Greener and all out today trying to try and take people's wages off them. I, I, and get another coin go. Do you think that the government now not doing the emergency? I know there was a Sinn Féin motion last government. night. Provisional government. Provi- well, provisional government. Yeah. Look, there, 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 there are only three ways you can attack a sitting government, you know, in the decency of decorum. Uh, one is a very vocal opposition. They have a vocal opposition with Sinn Féin and co. and the independents. The other is a thriving media and social media presence where you're not afraid to call out the the bad stuff. And I know a lot of us don't understand the machinations of government and and how everything works. But the people are crying out for support in an emergency budget. And uh, as much as they say Sinn Féin is using the populist, um, uh, you know, trying to gather the populist vote and grandstanding, looking for this emergency budget, they're going to go on holidays without doing it. They're going to wait till October and then probably in October say these measures will come in in March. Yeah. This will be gone by gone to the wall by then. Many people will, you reckon? see all this going belly up in the next two months, or maybe before it. Yeah, I think it's going to be a... a major bang looming. Yeah, I, I think and people will not know what's going to hit them. It's going to be a recession uh, born out of inflation, not, not out of poverty. Um, yeah. Here, here's, here's another text in from Finton, so I can call it out, I imagine, because he texted me directly, right? This is uh, uh, Finton Caulfield. We burn 100,000 litres a month. Uh, compared to last December at 120 per litre plus VAT, today 169 per litre plus, plus VAT. That's, right, yeah. That's an extra 50 grand a month, 600 grand a year and climbing yeah. uh, on fuel. An extra, right, yeah. extra 600 grand a year. Yeah. And half of That's that is going life. to the government in tax. Absolutely scandalous. But someone must pay for this COVID carry on. This is all a lot of it as well. This 350 euros a week. Ah, oh, it's Brexit, That's it's COVID, it's the war. There's always a scapegoat. Well, I'm blaming it on this COVID. Carry on in here. 350 euros there for people in to the left. For two how will, how long? To willy-nilly. There's no accountability for the men that's all working. Only take, take, take all the time off the men that's all working. You sound like a hard worker. How long will you last? Off, how long will you last, Kieran? Which? How long will you last? Don't know. Don't know how to, how long things will last. Well, you're painting a very very dim picture, but I know you're, it's it's from your heart, and I know you're being very honest with me. <laughs> Three and a half grand in the tank this morning is going to last you till Friday with your business. Half of that going to the government in tax, and you're providing uh, essential animal feed, um, which I believe is going to be scarce come the winter as well. That's another issue we're going to have to deal with. Kieran, thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, let's go back. Uh, I think, Paul, I cut you off today. Paul, are you still back there? I'm still here, Mick. Okay. Uh, thanks a million. I hope I'm not keeping you from serving the public now. Uh, I no, have a, no, you're great. I have a receipt in my, uh, in my hand here from uh, a restaurant in Dublin Airport. A Cajun chicken panini is 9.25. What would that be with you? Uh, our sandwiches, our beauty spreads, steamed cooked meats from the chicken in across the border, seven euros thirty. Okay, uh, two so chicken they stuffing. Were, they were six six fifty last year. Okay, uh, two uh, sandwich, ordinary sandwiches with chicken stuffing, fifteen ninety here, seven ninety five each. Oh, that's 
that's that is saucy, but with basic breads and 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 that's saucy. Yeah, of course, it's, it's all down to garnishing and dressing as well. In a deli where you're sitting down, you're probably going to get more than your takeaway packet. Yeah. Like, uh, I had a friend in Dublin that messaged me last week asking me how much I charge for um, a ham and cheese toasty. And I said, well, if it's just a basic ham and cheese toasty, it's going to be around six fifty with the breads and stuff. Nine fifty he paid in Dublin. Yeah. And that wasn't any Arbutus breads or steamed cooked ham or anything like that. This was a basic toasted sandwich. Okay, lest we be the harbingers of doom and gloom, right? Uh, let, let me give a shining light uh, of an example here. Uh, this is from Helen's Bar in Kilmacalogue, in beautiful Kilmacalogue in County Kerry, okay? Where a pint of Guinness is 3 90 and uh, this party had six of them. Where a pint bottle of Bulmers is four sixty. Now, if you've had a pint bottle of Bulmers lately in the city, you'll know this is cheap. A pint bottle of Bulmers is four sixty. There was two of them on the bill. Uh, there was two cans at one fifty each, one coffee at two euros each. I know you're cringing here now. One coffee at two euro. Uh, there was four desserts at four euros each. So it was a fairly big eating party here. Uh, and it said the bill is upside down, of course, because now we go to the main course. There were six uh, cod fish main courses. And uh, now we go to the uh, the starters. There was four mussels and two soups. The cod main courses were 10 euro. The mussels were 8.50 and the soups were 4.50. Reasonable prices, I think you will agree. I saw that online yesterday and I was shocked. Yeah. Now, so there's uh, there's six pints of Guinness. Two. Uh, there's more than there's six people dining, obviously. Uh, but there's six pints of Guinness, yeah. two pints of Bulmers, two cans, and a coffee uh, in the drink side. But these six people having all of those drinks, their mussels, their soups, their cods, and their desserts, uh, the whole lot came to 156 sixty. I I actually don't understand how they're making a profit charging those prices. But fair juice them if they can. Fair juice them. Um, we're, we're looking again at um, energy costs probably going up again in the winter, which will mean that my prices will go up again. The government are talking about the 20 cent cup, takeaway cup, Mick. A lot of people don't realise that's not going to be 20 cents. It's going to be 20 cents to me to buy from the suppliers. Put the VAT onto that, it's going to bring it up to 24.5. As soon as I clock that into the till, there's going to be another... VAT charge onto that. It's going to be thirty cents a cup. Thirty cents a cup. Uh, it will. It will be thirty cents a cup at the till. So basically, your takeaway coffee when the government introduced this would be another thirty cents. Now, uh, I spoke once to an operator of one of the biggest uh, chains, four core chains, and um, he told me that the the highest cost in delivering takeaway coffee is actually the cup. Coffee is, is comparatively cheap, and it's it's a big profit maker. Uh, would you agree that coffee is is probably your best margin? Is it? Oh, it's it's the highest margin. It has to be to to justify business. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fine. Uh, and what the government are saying is, bring your own cup or pay thirty cent. Then. Oh, it will be bring your own cup, or or if you're not dining in, if you're getting a takeaway cup, it's going to be thirty cents, not the twenty cents the government are quoting. It's going to be thirty. All right. And I just want to make a point, Dermot, that we're all talking about the budget in October. The government is saying we can't do anything until October, the budget and everything. Of course they don't want to do anything because they're going to cream us until October, take the huge tax take they're taking on fuel and everything else, because they're one of the big winners here along with the energy companies. And then they're going to come out like the nice and shiny armor in October and give us all little tax breaks here, there, whatnot, and say, no, we saved you. Yeah, what about all the billions you talk in between? 
Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's going to definitely be a budget that will be designed at gathering and keeping votes. Yes, absolutely. And that's, and you know what, that's their main job in government is to keep votes. Okay. Not Th- people, keep votes. To thank you for your time, Paul, uh, of Three Little Piggies at the junction of Union Key and Copley Street. Give yourself a little plug. Uh, and I know you'll probably be beseeching people to, you know, realise that the pricing is not all down to you gouging the public, but it is you trying to provide an efficient service. Trying to keep, provide a service, make, uh, to keep the books as they were to survive. Um, people will see increases all over the city. The majority of businesses are not pocketing anything from this. Big winners, energy companies and the government. Why would anybody go to uh, Three Little Piggies? What's your unique selling proposition, your USP? Our, our unique uh, our, is our sandwiches, Mick, is um, we, all our beauty spreads, uh, which are baked in the city, as you know, all our meats come steam cooked from the chicken in. And do you know what? We have a mixture of courthouse judges, barristers, students, uh, people, officers, and they all mix fabulously. And it's a lovely little community. They all know each other. Mm-hmm. On first name basis. They all walk over the bridge by the, the, the School of Commerce, do they? Yep, they certainly do, yeah. You have the power of the mall, you're right there. Paul, we wish you all the very best with Three Little Piggies, and uh, may you continue to shine uh, a light on topics on social media as you continue to do. Thank you, Mick. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Thanks, all the best. Bye-bye. Uh, now then, let's go to line one. This is certainly hitting a nerve. Hi, Mike. Hi, uh, Mike. How are you doing? Good. Re- regarding on pricing on everything, businesses can charge what they like. Well, uh, I suppose, look, they're being hit with excessive costs as well. But it's the government. They don't give a flying fig about anyone. All they want, the more people charge, the more taxed. It's like a conveyor belt going into the Department of Finance. Do you remember, Neil, about... Do you remember when Quinsworth were in operation? I do. Back in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, they brought out... uh, uh, kind of a sales gimmick. Spend twenty pounds at the till, and we we'll give you back four. Day later, Dunn Stores started it. Spend twenty, and we will give you back five. Dunn Stores are still doing it. Spend fifty, we'll give you back ten. Once you have the voucher. Yeah, but th- this thing was actually you were given, you were handed back, to the best of my knowledge, four or five pounds, depending on where you you shopped. But the government stepped in almost immediately and said, "You can't do that. You're selling below cost." in the story. You had the guy in Cork there a month, two months ago. Um, if you bought a mop and bucket, you got 17 euros. You paid 17, but you got the same thing back to buy a slab of beer. That's, two days was, later, government said, can't do that against the law or whatever. How quickly they can act when they want. Exactly. They're not, they're, all they want is money. But what the big thing that I'd like to ask, what in the name of God are our union fellas doing? My father had a great saying, Neil. The day the union, the day the worker authorised his union contributions to be deducted from his salary, he sold himself down the river. I can remember as a young lad, my father saying to my mother, oh, I need two shillings, or so that'll give you an idea of my age. Well, they're collecting for the union today. Can you imagine a shop steward going around today with his little Pionui in his book, taking off names, saying, oh, you are... 20 euros this week. Yeah, it's all deduction at source now. Yeah, it's a lot easier to like a conveyor belt into the union coffers as well, you know? But the the conveyor belt can continue forever because it will reach the point of diminishing returns. People will stop going out. People will stop using taxis. People will stop using restaurants. People will entertain at home. 
that may be the case, but the government will always find a way to screw us. Did, did I hear correctly about something about the USC there recently? Oh, dear, that's, uh, uh, that was only a temporary measure. They brought in very, very quickly. Well, yeah, I, I mentioned that in another email. They brought it in for a year or two to say, oh, look, it could be gone. That's it. To their 18 years now, and they're still milking it. I, I thought that was part of the, the Croke Park Agreement. Yeah, if, if you voted for Fianna Fáil back in 1992, you were voting for the abolition of car tax. Uh, yeah. You were also, uh, in, a, in a separate election, I think, uh, you were voting for a lifetime of no water charges. Do you, yeah. do you, do you turns are many and varied? Oh, it's, uh, I don't know. Do you know what we badly need here? We want about 100 French people to come over and show us how to strike because <laughs> we're just walking on our hands and knees. I, as some fellow said one time, I'd rather exist... But where do you put it? I'd rather to die on my knees than exist. I'd rather die on my legs than exist, exist on, on my knees. knees. You know, I don't know where it's going to end. It's just ridiculous at the moment. All right. Mike, thanks very much. Not at all, Thank you. uh, Mike. You're very welcome. Thank bye you. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, yes, we've certainly hit a nerve here. We've got a text on the cost of living. I hope you can read out this text. It says, I got my Electric Ireland ESB uh, bill today, and it came in at over €132. Euros. I live alone, and for the same period in 2021, the bill was on average €67. Euros. I've added nothing to the household in that 12 months that would draw electricity. Uh, and what I was using then regarding electricity, I'm using now. Nothing extra. In the space of 12 months, my electricity bill has doubled, which is solely a combination of the standing charge increase, PSO levy, VAT and unit increases, and not by any additional wasteful or overusage by me. If anything, I am very conscious about climate issues and not wasteful. However, given this latest electricity bill, why should I be bothered about climate change anymore if I'm still going to be crippled with increasing costs for what is essentially nothing extra? What would any TD know about the cost of living difficulties difficulties when they are very well catered for? And that's the mood that's coming through uh, at this time. Uh, Quick ad break and we're back to the topic in a moment. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Coming up on 25 minutes to 11, fast-moving program this morning. And good morning to John. Morning, Mick. How are you? I'm great. Now, the government are getting their budgetary measures in place, you say, for October. Can I just ask yeah. you just a rhetorical question? Let's say the mother and father of a crash happens between now or during their extended holidays from Doyle Aaron. Do you think they'll quickly reconvene, recall Doyle Aaron and put that emergency budget in place or will we have to wait until October? I think we're going to have to wait until October, Mick. I, I think what's happening here is, um, I think they're like a bunch of squirrels at the moment, no, gathering their nuts, you know. And then, you know, in the autumn then, come October there'll be a massive, massive giveaway budget with tax breaks, increase in um, social welfare payments, so on, so on, right? And all this is designed to try and claw back some support from Sinn Féin. So what effectively they're doing, they're they're playing politics with people's lives. People are going hungry, they can't eat their homes, and all Michal Martin and his cronies are interested in this, playing politics. It's wrong. Uh, another thing, Mick, is that you mentioned um, water charges a while ago, right? Mm-hmm. And a previous caller mentioned the unions. No, I myself, are, I, I'm involved in water services. And only last week, our unions and the government 
they've agreed that water service will be handed over to Irish Water from local authorities from the 1st of January 2023, which means only one thing, privatisation. And the public need to know, Mick, water charges are coming as well. On top of interest rates rises, the fuel is only going one way and that's up. Energy is only going going one way and that's up. Okay, let, so, let, let, let's, let's harken back to, to 2008. A serious, serious crash was foisted upon the Irish people uh, by what was essentially a German overdraft, okay? Uh, there was too much liquidity in the marketplace. There was two, there was 150% mortgages being given out by the banks with, with scant checks on people's ability to repay. It was a bubble that was bound to be burst. I remember when David McWilliams, who I'd love to speak to, by, by the way, on the program, if we can get him, uh, said, yields are at 3% on Grafton Street. This is a bubble. It's about to burst. He was exactly right. Uh, the same pent-up sort of uh, bubble is being constructed here through inflation, high prices, um, high supply chain costs, all of these being passed on uh, and eradicating and eroding the savings that people may have made through not traveling or through not going on staycations during uh, the pandemic. But any cash reserves are now being eaten into rapidly uh, and something is going to have to give. What do you think will happen, John? I think I think there's a massive, massive bust on the way, Mick. I mean, it, it, it can't keep... I, I, you said it yourself while ago, right? What's going to happen is that people, their disposable income is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. So people are going to have to choose now. Do we go out for a night out or do we put food on the table? Remember, Mick, we're nearly into July now. We have families with young children going back to school in September. You're going to have uniforms, books, um, <laughs> the voluntary uh, contribution... Right. Oh, the, oh yeah, for, for, all these things. for your free education. Then, yeah. And then you see, you're, you're no sooner then have the kids back to school. You have to think about Christmas. Especially, you know, young children that don't, you know, understand the, the economics of what's going on, where they're looking for playstations, they're looking for this. Mammy and daddy are scratching the end of the, the, the tent to see is there anything left. So, I mean, the pressure that people are being put under is absolutely crazy. And the government, at the stroke of a pen, Mick, they've done it in other European countries. They can reduce VAT on fuel, on energy costs, on food. They can do it, but the, the will isn't there. All they're interested in doing is clawing support back from Sinn Féin. It's all about power, Mick. Well, of, of, of course, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, even if, they, uh, if their raison d'etre is, is to keep Sinn Féin out of government, they're also, of course... Uh, suffering a little bit of the uh, tail wagging the dog by trying to appease Eamon Ryan and his his green movement. Yeah, but that's that's you know it's like your your previous Paul there trying to run a business right, and he's right in what he said. It's not twenty cent. It's going to be thirty and more on on the disposable cup. Right? Well, if if they um, said wait wait till October, we're going to give you a massive relief to help you through the uh, Halloween and Christmas period, and it'll hit instantly. But that's not going well, to happen. Uh, it's not going to happen, and I'll tell you what's going to happen between now and October, Mick. You're going to have people get up to their eyeballs in debt through money lenders and whatever else to try and to try and make their way through this. That's what's going to happen, Mick. Do you think history is going to be kind, John, to this coalition? No, no. How could it be, Mick? Like one of your previous callers is right there. He sent the three hundred and fifty euros that was paid out the, the 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 COVID payment. Right, this you know this is an exercise as well to try and claw all that back. I mean, it wasn't the people's fault. COVID came into this country. It was a worldwide you know pandemic. And look, it has to be said the the government response was swift. It was comprehensive. 
it saved lives. Uh, is it the best we could have done? I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, we, we did have very, very serious people in power who were looking after the Irish people. We, we also created, I think, the most powerful civil servant of all time in Tony Holan. Uh, but, um, you know, he, he generated, albeit, uh, you know, his, his record perhaps not unblemished when it comes to the cervical smear scandal. Well, uh, yeah, you he, just took the words out of my mouth yeah, there, yeah. yeah. But, but he, he did generate a lot of trust in the people and it was as if, it was as if through that difficult and lonely time when we were been stuck at home that we were at least, we believed in a safe pair of hands. But now it seems it's, uh, it's caution's been thrown to the wind. Everything is going to be fine. I remember the same, uh, sort of, um, Bra- you know, brash attitude coming from Bertie Ahern, sailing right up over the cliff uh, when 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 the crash came in two thousand and eight. They just well, didn't see it back- coming. I don't think they're seeing it coming this time. No, they're not. And if you remember, you 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 spoke about um, the economist there, David Mac Williams. There's another guy there. I think he was in Trinity College. Morgan was his name. He was an economist, and he warned that this crash was going to happen in two thousand and eight. And if you remember, Bertie Ahern gave a speech above in Donegal, the, um, the, the, the summer forum, I think, whatever, above there. And Bertie Ahern told him to get a bottle of brandy and a gun and go into a dark room. You know, that he was, you know, pessimistic and... That's you know, right, yeah, yeah. What, yeah what, you know? What's going to happen here is we're going to lose all credibility with our tourists. Uh, we're pricing ourselves out of the market. Uh, the hotels are delighted. Uh, I heard a hotel federation spokesman this morning saying uh, that the rebound has been better than they expected. Uh, yeah. I, I think the airlines would contend it's the same. Uh, everybody seems to be delighted with the uptake in business, except Dublin Airport Authority, because they can't handle it. Um, but that's a different story. Now they're going to bring in the army in there. Um, I, I, I just... Words fail me as to what I see this country becoming. Because, and I'm, I'm not trying to be a doom and gloom merchant. Look... But we're at a cold face here of public opinion. And we get the texts and we get the emails and we get the emotive people on the air. Uh, and you can actually feel the impending despair. You can feel the despair building and, and, and the worry building about how we're going to face through this winter. But it seems like our friends in Dáil Éireann are completely warm and cosy and insulated from this public opinion. And that's what will bite them on the arse when it comes. Because the third way you can handle uh, and criticise the government is the ballot box. Right now we've just got a very vocal opposition, a very vocal media. But when the ballot box comes, these guys will learn their lesson. Yeah, but you see, Mick, I think what will happen, right, and I think it's going to be unfortunate for Sinn Féin or whoever else goes into government next time, right, is that the damage to, to the economy is going to be so severe that after the next election, whoever goes in trying to repair the damage that these three parties have done is going to be near impossible. But they saunter saunter towards their ministerial pensions and uh, seem to care not a jot. They don't care, Mick. They genuinely don't care. It's it's been proven. I mean, there there are people, there are families around all over the country. And Mm. they're just being left high and dry. There's there's, there's no support there for them. Yeah. Uh, I've been been accused at different junctures on this programme of being a staunch Fianna Fáiler, a staunch Fianna Gaylor, a staunch Shinner, Uh, I've never been credited with being uh, an independent thinker, so I'm absolutely apolitical. I'm here for one reason only, to generate the debate that may help people. Uh, um, But I'm really starting to get worried with the level of concern we're seeing at this program at the coalface about how much these uh, increases are impacting right across the board. Right across the board. Every worker, every supplier, every haulier, every working person uh, is being affected right now. 
Well, Mick, personally, I think what should be happening, and unfortunately it's not, our unions today are not what they once were, but I think the union should be bringing every worker out onto the street for a one-day national stoppage. Well, you know something, we have a caller coming on with just just that thing to say. Uh, i got to leave it there, John, because I've got a few more lined up, and uh, we, I, I thank you for your comment, and uh, it's really added to the debate here. Let's see if we can keep it going. Thanks, John. Hi, PJ. How are you? Well, go on, Mick. How are you? I'm great. You think he's right? He is right, yeah. I think I, I, I stated that in another text. He was there not so long ago. I think every man, woman, and child in this country should two days a week just do not go to work, get the unions behind whether or not the unions is behind them or not. If Eamon Ryan wants his ozone free whatever, don't get me wrong, I know there is a climate uh, there is a climate problem. I'm well aware of that. But every man, woman and child just two days a week just do not go into work, bring the whole country to a standstill. Eamon Ryan uses the state car, I believe, to to transport his bike uh, to his uh, rural engagements, uh-huh. and then cycles into town like uh, a hero. Today, today I seen that on on on. Uh, I think it was on Facebook. The, the, I can't remember the Independent TD that bought it up and over. It's quite it's quite typical of of what he does. I mean, some of the stuff that man is after coming out with. Go to your neighbour's house, and you can get warm in there, and then swap over for the following day to save energy. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's real or was that Waterford Whispers news. I'm not sure. If 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 live in if you live in rural Ireland. You know, in a small oh, share, village. Share 30 cars in a village. Yeah. God forbid I mean, you have a medical emergency and there's no one... <laughs> how how far away from reality have you to go to get into the realms of that? Stephen King wouldn't. I'm a massive Star Wars fan, but Lucasfilms couldn't make a film about that. I think you're, you, know? you're, you have to be very insulated by a very high salary and a very, very good public pension at the end of your public service. Uh, it's like what they've done... You see, with them, with them, it's not just a pension; it's several pensions. Because I work for three security companies. I work for twelve or five an hour. Right? Okay. I I give the best service I can that to the clients I work for 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 that. These lads are on huge money, massive money, and why should they worry about me? Why should they worry about me struggling? I was talking to a gentleman last night. Um, I, I was walking last key car park there last night in the city, and uh, I was talking to an American gentleman there. He's from the Orange State, and he was saying how beautiful Ireland was. But he says, "By God," he said, "it's expensive." Yeah, I said, so "Look, had you been here, had you been here three, four years ago, I said you'd probably get double the amount for your money what you're spending now." Yeah, we had American friends in for the bones of two weeks. Now, we did have a little trip to the UK in the middle, but uh, to all intents and purposes, we took them to every hotspot tourist-wise in uh, West Cork and West Kerry, uh, and they had an enormously good time. Uh, that would have cost tens of thousands if they had tried to do it on their own, plus they wouldn't have had the local knowledge. Uh, and, and, you know, that's yeah, that's yeah. one way that that tourists can avail of this country, by, by us becoming our own guided tours for them. Uh, but I despair. Any, do you remember the New York couple that were quoted fifty-one thousand euros to rent a car for nine days? Yes, you, you can buy the same car for forty-five grand new. <laughs> what are we becoming, PJ? Thanks a million. I got to take one more before we take a break, and that is James. Uh, hi, James. Hello, James. Hello, Neil. Sorry about that. Sorry. Uh, I was just listening to your program there, and all about the fuel about the fuel situation. It's dreadful. Everyone, everyone is, is is caught with it. There's no one escaping but it. But I think it's the only way. Like the last two people you had on there, 
is a national strike. One day a week, and the only people that can organize this are the unions. Like, we, we ha- the whole country will be broke soon if, there's, if there isn't something done about it. Last year in January, James, uh, the price of regular unleaded was 129.9, uh, and it was 120.8 for diesel. Right now, on average, 213.2 and 205 for diesel. You're essentially talking about almost 100% increase. Well, I'm a farmer, I'm a farmer and I was buying agricultural diesel just over 12 months ago for 78 cents a litre, and it is 160 now. Wow, that's, an, that's another double. That's another double. So whatever you're talking about, whatever time of fuel, whether it's gas, whether it's diesel, whether it's petrol, it's gone double unless there's something done about it like this country is going into a massive procession. Like, do you know who's become a, a real cult hero over the last few weeks with the with the strikes? Is that guy Mick Lynch? I know he, he's he's a Cork City fan as well, but he he's taken Kay Borley apart and he's taken uh, he's taken uh, Piers Morgan apart. Well, I'd love to get him on. Now we're going to try and get him on the program. Actually, it'd be very it'd be very interesting to get him on the program. All right. A, a guy, he's he's a guy who speaks truth to power, and we have very Absolutely. little of that happening in this country. It happens, it happens by revolt and demonstration in France. It happens by subservience and complaining on social media here. We're not the but fighting someone, Irish anymore. But someone would want to lobby the unions like, to, 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 get this, to get this up and running because otherwise we're, 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 we're like half, half the industries in Ireland are going to go abroad. Very shortly. Look, everyone listening here is as patriotic as the next person and, and a one-day strike across the board is going to cause ructions uh, in our image, in our supply availability, in our exports, in our transport. Do you think it's the only way to go? A one-day, all-worker, down tools, yeah. take notice, or get out? I know it's going to hurt, but it, it, might, it, might, cure, it might cure the pain like in, in, in the short term. So are, are, you, um, are you a haulier as well as a farmer? No, no, I'm not, no. Okay, I'm not but but what? Like it's affecting it's effect us just as bad as, as the haulier or, or, or whatever kind of business you're in. Like, or not because it, fertilizer has gone all way over double, and they're blaming the war for that. The fertilizer was going up before the war ever started. Yeah, and the transport cost of getting the fertilizer to yeah. you. I was at a meeting back in in, in the Great Southern Hotel. Liam and Ryan was there last last Friday evening, and I asked him, see, where was the extra ex- duty going? Going from the the fuel, where was it going? And he said, just paying, just paying the hospitals, and just paying the guards, and just paying the nurses. And I said to him, sure, you were paying, you were paying them before the fuel ever started going up. I said, mm. you're not answering my question, and you would not, you would not answer me where the money was going. You know? uh, look, uh, I was watching a, a program on Glastonbury, you know, the big music festival in in, in the UK, hugely attended festival. The complete yeah. fallacy of of the green. Uh, movement it was it, it was shown there. There was a bank of electric charging points for electric cars being run by a diesel generator. Mm-hmm. Where are we going? Where are we going? I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, Irish people. We want we want to get the French people over here to show us how to how to manage governments because they're the only people that I know that can bring, that can swing around the governments to do what what we need. Like, they're not listening to they're not listening to Stalin, you know. Mm. And you know something, the price of crude oil between 1950, which is 72 years ago now, uh, has, hasn't has even quadrupled. It was 31.70 back in 1950. It was uh, 23.49 in 1970. In the 80s, remember we had that fuel recession, 
Uh, we had go? queuing at the pumps. It was 139.59. It's not even that now. It's, it's 105.84. And so, the other thing the government did back in when we when we had the crash there in in when was it zero six? They put an emergency tax on that 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 time, and that emergency tax was supposed to be taken taken off the fuel when the country recovered, and that that emergency tax was never taken off. Okay. Look, just once more, I think they're misreading the public sentiment here and the deep feeling and deep worry that exists in the Irish population, but they're not going to do anything about it until October. That seems to be the diktat. Uh, but James, thanks for coming on this morning and adding to our debate. Appreciate it. Cheers. You're quite welcome. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And the uh, expose, I suppose, continues. Well, my heart goes out to those fishermen uh, who have their trawlers berthed and tied up because they can't afford to fuel to even venture to go on a profitable trip. Uh, a very stark uh, explanation and example of the giveaway in Irish waters that's ongoing uh, at the moment just compounds their problem. In Irish waters, in the monkfish quota, Ireland gets 8%. France gets 59%. In the Haddock quota, Ireland gets 22%, France gets 67%. When it comes to Hake, Ireland gets 6%, Spain get 29%, and France get 45%. Uh, in Seoul, beautiful fish, Ireland gets 3%, Belgium gets 62%. In Place, Ireland gets 13%, France gets 42%, Belgium gets 23%. In Ray, Another beautiful fish. Ireland gets 13% and France gets 41%. And in Pollock, not a very popular fish here, but it is on the continent. Uh, but the numbers are stark. Ireland gets 8% and France gets a whopping 71% of the quota. Uh, and I'd like to maybe speak to some uh, fishermen, some skippers, uh, to find out exactly what's going on there. On the continuing subject of rip-off Ireland, uh, and before we mention that, I'll give you news of our giveaway just to uh, to cheer you up. I've neglected to mention so far, we have another set of tickets for Elton John to give away between 11 o'clock and 12. We're going to play an Elton John song, okay? Listen carefully to what I'm saying. We're going to play an Elton John song and then open the lines uh, on 0818104106 and we'll take caller number nine sometime between 11 and 12 on that. Good morning, Mick. On Saturday morning last, I, with two family members, visited a local restaurant in Middleton for brekkie. The entire order was as followed. Scrambled egg, toast with brown bread. Uh, one tomato, one scone, one latte coffee and two teas. The total was €23.35. Uh, the current situation will decimate the hospitality sector and thousands of businesses and jobs will be lost. The most obvious thing for the government to do is cut taxes on fuel as it is the principal driver across all costs in the uh, tourism and hospitality sector and right across most other industries. The October budget will sadly be far too late for many of our people. And that's from Mike Crowley. News at 11 is next. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. And uh, we just got an article, I just uh, had one handed to me actually from Claire. Uh, thank you Claire from the uh, Irish Examiner Monday, uh, 27th of June uh, about some fishing trawlers tied up in West Cork because they can't afford to go to sea due to the rising cost of fuel. As a result, because there's a knock-on effect, fish factories are processing less. One shop selling fresh fish has closed because of supply difficulties. Standing orders were suspended at a Cork County Council meeting on Monday as councillors debated the crisis. They called for the government to subsidise the fleet's fuel costs as they can't compete 
with French and Spanish counterparts who are getting financial help from their respective governments. Fianna Fáil Councillor Joe Carl said the French are providing 30 cent a litre fuel subsidy to their trawlers. The Spanish, 20 cent a litre. Irish fishermen get just two cent a litre subsidy. Uh, Mr. Carl said he's been talking to one trawler owner who's going to sea. It cost him 42,000 euro to fuel his boat for a 14-day trip. That's not to mention food and supplies and everything. That's an awful ball of money, he said. And they may have a bad outing. The crew will be down 1,600 uh, euro in wages as a result of the fuel prices. And this has a knock-on effect into the economy. It's ludicrous, he said, that Belgium, with a 41-mile coastline, has better fishing quotas, uh, in some most cases, uh, than Ireland. Uh, there's also concerned jobs in the fish processing industry could also be lost. Uh, Mr. Murphy, uh, Patrick Jared Murphy, uh, who's a Fianna Fáil councillor, uh, said you can go out some weeks and get nothing. What's left over after fueling the boat is the wages. The more the fuel costs, the less the owner, skipper, and therefore the crew get, because it's all a share. The fishing industry is on its knees in Castletown Bear and Union Hall, said um, local TD Michael Collins. Uh, he said that Patrick Murphy, chief executive of the South and West Fishermen's Association, is doing his best to highlight the problems facing the industry at present, but it's just falling on dead air's ears. I've also been handed a, a statement or a, a quote from uh, former Taoiseach Enda Kenny. This was possibly before he became Taoiseach, but uh, he said it's a, it would be immoral to tax a person's home. And uh, a button, uh, a blazer button from 1977 on all cars up to and including 16 horsepower and on all motorcycles, no tax after August 77. 1977, that is, if you vote Fianna Fáil. Uh, let's go to uh, Brian on uh, line two. Hi, Brian. Hi. Oh, you're, you're on about Doyle numbers and they, they're going to be on the increase. Yeah, I mean... We have one uh, legislator uh, in England, France, Germany, Holland, Italy, Spain, uh, for 100,000. In Ireland, we have 3.3 public representatives uh, for 100,000 people. So we're 3.3 times more than the the average in, in Europe. We should be reducing the amount of TDs in Ireland, not increasing them. Do you, do, you think, um, do you think the powers that be now in Dáil Éireann will ever put something like that to a referendum? I don't think so. It would be like a turkey I mean, voting for so. Christmas. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. But I mean, they are supposed to be... I mean, when this came in in 1937, we got around Ireland in bicycles and horse and cats. There was very few uh, cars. There was no such thing as, as mobile phones or anything. There was no Facebook. There was no anything like that, social media. No, you don't have to go to your TD. You could phone up and tell the secretary what your problem is, even if you're over 50 miles away from his constituency office. So things have moved on. I mean, in 1937, when it was there, the mode of transport, they said, was very, very, very bad. No, we've improved. We've came a long way since then. So we should be able to reduce the number of TDs. And by reducing them, I would make sure that the T's worked hard within their constituencies to get elected if there was less TDs in the country because they would actually have to do the job that they're supposed to be doing and to become legislators and legislate for the country. We know Alt is a, a, a place for the, the boys, you know what I mean? Go in there, do one term, and you'll secure the pension for life. You know, and even if you get thrown out, they'll give you the pension anyway. <laughs> so, do you get the I pension mean, after one term, you do? 
I think you do, yeah. Once you do two and a half, you know, I think you're entitled to a pension. Okay. We're open to correction on so, that. But, so uh, I there's, a, one. there's 11, 11 more of them needed uh, because of the constitutional requirements uh, on as regards representation per head of, uh, per head of capita. So because we've now 5.1 million people in the, uh, in the 26 counties, there's going to be 11 more TDs needed. I'm not sure how the carpenters are going to have put more chairs in there, but that's only, a, that's only an aside. <laughs> do, do, do we need 11 more? No, no, we don't. I mean, we should be reducing the amount of TDs. And as I said, we have 3.3 for 100,000, England, France, Germany, Holland. You know, they have uh, one for every 100,000. So we don't need them. I mean, it is less we should have. And to improve, hopefully would improve the representation we get from our TDs if there was less there, because they would actually have to get out in the ground and hear what people are saying if they want to get elected again the next time. So it would have a, a, a double effect. And we'd also be paying less money to the TDs um, for the extra TDs we have if we reduced it. But I mean, the last time they, it's between 20 to 30,000 for one representative, right? Uh, they were using the lowest number up to the second last election and the broader up to around 29,000. But if we had a small constitutional amendment, say we rise it to 40 to 50,000, that would reduce the number of TDs. And that's uh, just a small amendment to the constitution, which could be easily done. I mean, and I think the people would vote for it, but the TDs won't vote for it. Or they won't put her into it. Well, the, t- the TDs won't, won't won't set up that referendum because uh, they'd be voting against their own their own numbers, basically, wouldn't they? Well, they would, yeah. But I mean, they're supposed to be representing the people, just getting themselves more jobs. And I mean, the people who are going to get these extra seats are going to be the usual suspects, the Fianna Fáil and the Fine Gaels, and probably Sinn Féin at the moment because they're on the rise. So I mean, it, it's not good to improve things. I'll probably make things worse. Brian, Brian, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not asking how you voted unless you want to volunteer that information, but do you think generally the votes and the sentiment of the Irish people were accurately reflected in what was cobbled together as a coalition government uh, very late in the day? No, I don't think so. I mean, Fianna Fáil, Michal Martin came out before the last election and he said there was no way on earth would he ever go into a coalition with Fine Gael. But because he was offered the T-shirt thing, he threw all that aside. I mean, he has no morals. Like, I, I think he said he wouldn't he go in, he, he wouldn't party. emphatically not go into government with, uh, with Sinn Féin, is what he said, I think. As well, yes, he said he wouldn't go into either or either of them. That he would form so, some kind of a coalition with Labour, the Greens and some independents. But I mean, he didn't. They offered him the TD thing. Or the the thing, and he said, "It's all right." I don't, but I said before the election doesn't really matter. Remember what Pat Rabbit said before an election. He said, "What you say before elections doesn't really matter." I mean, Hall Martin is in the same day now at the moment. I mean, <coughs> the numbers in the last election should have been Fine Gael and Sinn Féin. It probably wouldn't be a great one, but I mean that's the way the numbers came out. I mean, getting together. And, and this rotating T-shirt. The whole mountain said like that it wouldn't work before but, the last election. But near the but twain shall meet. Um, neither Fine Gael nor <laughs> Fianna Fáil would go into government with, uh, with, with Sinn Féin. And, and so, uh, you know, with their, I wouldn't say overwhelming support, but when you put their support together jointly, 
uh, it gives them, uh, at least for now, a distinct advantage in numbers over Sinn Féin, who didn't run enough candidates in the general election, can I say. Um, and I know that Ono Bryn, when I spoke to him on this program, admitted that as well. They seriously misread the sentiment of the of the population, as I believe the coalition is doing now uh, in relation to the massive inflation that's being foisted upon the Irish public uh, under the excuse of, you know, once it was Brexit, then it was COVID, now it's the war. Yeah, I, I mean, politicians always find some excuse for not doing something. You know, I mean, um, the cat had kittens, we have to do something about it. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they said um, that we have control over our finances. They want to reduce that, and Europe says, no, you can't. So we're being ruled by Europe. We don't have control over our own finances. I mean, that's the most important thing in the country, that the legislators are able to control the finances. We can't. We've been told we have to give the budget to Europe before we see it, and to see if they will agree with it. If they don't, we have to make changes. Meanwhile, so islands like Malta or Tenerife, uh, you know, w- without refineries, are selling their their diesel at you know between one thirty four and one fifty. Yeah, we could do the same if we wanted to. I mean, if we had control over our finances, we could reduce taxes and whatever, and increase taxes in other areas where we could. I mean, there's plenty of money in this country. There's loads of billionaires here. You know, and, and we could tax them a little bit. Actually, that, that's, that's what Mick Lynch, the, the, the UK union representative, was saying. There's plenty of money there. It's just in the hands of the wrong people. Uh, Brian, thank you very much for your call. Yeah, let's, i, I got to go. Let's, can let's, I just say one thing? Yeah, about sure. Mick Lynch. On, yeah. I mean, Mick Lynch was, um, was blacklisted in England when he worked in the construction industry. Uh, because of his involvement with the unions. At least I think Mick, you, Mick Lynch is one of the guys who will bring the trade union leadership forward. I mean, here at the moment, we've got the Industrial Relations Act, which says that unions can't go on strike unless they go through a whole process of stuff. And you can't have secondary strikes, you know? So thanks very much for that, Mick. Oh, for, no problem. Uh, me thanks a million. But listen, uh, stay with me, because here's a little bit of Mick Lynch talking about James Connolly. Who's your political hero? James Connolly. James Connolly. Do you know who James Connolly is? He was an Irish socialist Republican. And he educated himself and he started uh, non-sectarian trade unionism in Ireland. And he was a hero of the Irish Revolution. So he is your hero? So that was part of the Kay Burley interview where... Uh, that's gone all over social media. I've got a little more uh, from Mick Lynch uh, with Piers Morgan, a very, very combative interview as well. And I'll get to that uh, over the course uh, of the next 30 minutes or so. But Thomas just got his uh, gas bill and it's gone up significantly. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Mick. How are you keeping? Okay. okay. Uh, 30, I'm great. 31.87 doesn't seem like a, f- a huge gas bill. Exactly. It, uh, it doesn't. And I'd say there's an awful lot of people screaming out there wish they had a gas bill that size. But then I live on my own, Michael. And what happens is that I very seldom use the gas. I might cook the odd meal on a Sunday. I might do a small bit of toast or whatever. But the whole thing, the breakdown of, of, of the bill, it, the, the, whole, the, the whole bill is 31.87. But the amount of gas that I used or, or that I was charged for was 6.81, 6 euros 81. The rest is taken up with carbon tax, carbon tax, Standing charge, standing charge. And listen to this, I got a reward, Michael. And they gave me a reward of 47 cents for paying on time. (laughs) 
So just just to recap on that, the gas, the actual product you used was six euros eighty one. Yes. And your bill was thirty one euros eighty seven. Yes. So I imagine the standing charge is the same. If if your bill was three hundred euros, it would be probably be the same standing charge, would it? So I, I, is it a fair I, I, reflection? I, I, I'm just wondering, but I'm wondering what the what, why are we paying that on a standing charge? I, my my whole my, my my whole idea was that. You pay if, if if you get gas if you if you get petrol in the station you pay VAT on this. So why am I just only just paying VAT? I'm not paying a standing charge at the pumps. I'm not paying you know. That, I mean this whole thing standing charge is gone ridiculous. I think they're trying to put it down to maintenance or something like that. Now I've probably in in, in my long in my long my my, my long age here now in, uh, 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 on this planet. I think the, the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm in this house now for over 50 years, I think I've got a, two gas meters. And I mean, there's no maintenance in them. I mean, well, I, I, where is it coming from? I mean, what, 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 what kind of a, what kind of a, 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 a con job is this like? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm just mesmerized. The fact that I, I only used six euros, 81 cent in gas. And my whole bill is 31, 87. I mean, God Almighty! I mean, this is uh, this is. I, 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 my heart goes out to people that actually, you know, have families and they're actually using fuel, using it much more than I would. Okay, I, mean, I, I, I don't want this, this to be a pertinent question or be cheeky in any way, Thomas. But you said in your text, you only ever use your gas to make the odd toasted sandwich. Is it worth having it at all? Can you do without it? I suppose I could, but then, but then I, I suppose I could, Michael. I could, yeah, I could, but there's. To sort of, what would you call it, to to part of my life, there's, you know, it is there, it is a unit, it is there. I mean, I didn't have any problems with going back years ago because the gas was reasonably cheap and everything was yeah. every, everything was okay. But it's just just like I, you know, I mean. Is it worth the comfort I, then? Will you will you continue to strive to pay it with these exorbitant uh, charges? It's five hundred percent more than the gas you used. Absolutely, it is, yeah, it is, yeah. But like, I at the moment, I, I don't have, I, I don't have any uh, alternative, but uh, just to, just to continue to pay it. But my, my, my part of what I'm saying is that my my heart goes out to people that are actually users, and I think that you know this government, like I, I, I have I have a word for us elderly, and, and, and I think that the Irish government here have a listen to this now, Michael. They have a campaign of legalized genocide against the elderly in this country because we're holding up everything. We're holding up the health. We're holding up everything because we're, we're, we're costing them money. We're costing them this, that, and everything. And but you built a state, Thomas, you built a state and you paid your taxes and, and you abided yeah. by the law. You worked hard and reared your family. Yeah, and now they're, they're putting all these, you know, we should, be the, we should be the people that they should be looking after. We're the people that made this country. We're fiver in three years on, on, on the old age pension. A fiver. You think they're looking after you? No, 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 no. How long will you How long will you wait for the next tenor? You'll probably get it in October, I suppose, because it's going to be a, a vote catching budget. They'll, they'll, they'll sanction it in October. You won't probably get it till next April. That's it. That's exactly it, Thomas. I'm going to play a little bit more of McLynch. Thank you very much for coming on this morning. Okay. Uh, that's six euros eighty one in gas with the uh, carbon taxes and the standing charge, a whopping thirty one eighty seven. I know that's not a huge gas bill, but when you only used six euros eighty one of the product to get a bill of thirty one. 87 just doesn't seem right. Well, the ascension to deity of Mick Lynch uh, for his temerity in tackling uh, 
the uh, TV interviewers like Kay Burley and here I'm going to play uh, Piers Morgan uh, continues and I'd love to speak to Mick Lynch and we're doing our very best I think he's on holidays actually uh, but we are trying to get him on and uh, I'd be uh, living in the fear of God in case I asked him the wrong question but here is Mick Lynch talking to Piers Morgan what I believe is your Facebook page. I want you to confirm or deny if this is your Facebook page. It's a picture yes, of, can you a see picture the of the hood from Thunderbirds. Can you see the likeness? Well, I'm just wondering where the comparison goes, because he was obviously <laughs> an evil criminal terrorist mastermind uh, described as the world's most dangerous man who wrecked utter, the, is utter the level carnage you're and this havoc at? on the public. Is that the level you're pitching this at, Piers? That is a joke amongst me and my friends, and you can see the likeness, if you like. So He's you're not denying that you are eyebrows. comparing yourself to the hood? I'm not comparing myself to anyone. I'm me. You've literally made your profile picture the hood. And I'm simply well, saying, I was so a massive... If it was a bunch of flowers, would I be a hippie or what? In the world. He's the most evil puppet made out of vinyl in the world. Is that the level your journalism's at these days? I simply asked you if that was you and your Facebook page. Well, do you, do, do you think I look like the most evil person in the world, Piers? Well, now you're asking me to, to answer a difficult question, Mick. I don't know you that well. All well, I'm I saying is you have personally... I think I'm the most evil person in the world. I'm just I think I'm a working class bloke who's leading a trade union in a dispute over jobs, if you, pay and conditions. I understand. If you don't want to be compared to the hood, probably better not to have the hood as your well, profile I picture. I think it's quite funny. So do I. But I well, also like... Go. As I was a Thunderbirds Is that the level fan, we're at, though? Don't you want to talk about the issues rather than a little vinyl simply, puppet from the I'm 1960s? I'm trying to get inside the mindset of the man about to wreak havoc on the country. It makes uh. me laugh, honestly, that you have the hood as your profile pic because that's a man who wreaked havoc on the world. Well, it makes me laugh that your level of journalism has descended so far that you can't think of any other question rather than a, a thing about put, the Thunderbirds. I didn't put that picture on your profile page. Yeah, but you've chosen to spend two or three minutes of this interview talking about an irrelevance. Because you seem so irritated by the comparison. Well, because you seem so irritated by the comparison to the I'm hood. not irritated at all. I'm completely... You seem very irritated. Well, I'm not. You're not? This is your non-irritated phase, is it? <laughs> point are you trying to prove, Piers? I mean, I'm not trying to, to, to prove anything. You put it on your Facebook page. Who's getting irritated there? Isn't he well able for them all? And I'd love, uh, and we hope to speak to uh, Mick Lynch before Neil's return on Monday week. Quick final call on the uh, topic. Ger is a taxi driver. Hi, Ger. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Good. Diesel 135 last year. What's it now for you? 220 or so, is it? Around 220 a litre. That's an over 90 cents increase. And where's that increase gone to? There was no wall last year. We're still getting the same diesel that Malta, the Canary Islands get. As some previous caller said. No, we're not, we're no, no, we're not getting the same. We're refining it ourselves uh, in white case. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. They have no oil uh, refineries to refine it. There's, we're being fleeced left, right and centre here. We're told be careful about this and careful about that. But the TDs take a rise every bloody year. Wouldn't what what rise have you guys got in the taxi business in the last year? I know uh, there's one coming gotten, in September, is it? Yeah, we have got nothing in five years. Okay, and you're heavily regulated as well, aren't you? Heavily regulated. Stickers, and and the side stickers on the cars, you can't use it for private no. use. The meters have yeah. to be audited and all that kind of thing. Of course. That, that increase now will cost us over €250 Euro to get it done. Okay. To, to get uh, it are you, are you driving your own car? Yes. Okay. So I what? I paid 2500 insurance. My right. tires have gone from €75 Euro each now to 85 
So, you know, where do I get, how do I make a profit? I work, I subcontract for CIE. We took on contracts five years ago to take special needs children to school. We got no increase off of them either. You know, so we're barely making a living at the moment. I'm, I'm not talking about poor motive now. I don't want to be like this. But the regulations that you're talking about there, they're trying to enforce uh, non-cash payments, credit cards. I have a mobile home in Galveston, and yet I have no internet connection down there. So if I go, someone to the old head can say, and they have one of your credit cards, and I have no internet connection, how am I going to get paid? Yep. Well, I think they're trying to stamp out the grey or black market where lots of cash is being siphoned out, yeah? Yeah, well, they want to stop in their own houses first. <laughs> well said. They, should, they, shouldn't be, they shouldn't be throwing stones in glass houses, you know what I mean? Saying what about all the brown envelopes and people not paying for houses and no trace of it. So they want to stop in their own glass house first, like. Is, is the only way you can make uh, more money to make a decent living is to work longer hours? And that, of course, will impinge on, you know, there must be some level at which it's, it's, it's unsafe to work more than 12 hours, certainly. Well, mixed is like this. We've had over 50 suicides in the taxi industry in the last year and a half because the, the pressure we're being put under. There's no talk about that. They're all talk about mental health. Come down and talk with the drivers who have to push and push. It was unfair last year, the last two years, that the pensioners had to come out and walk through the pandemic. You know, it's crucifying, and as I say, we had over 50 suicides in this game at the moment. Is that, is that nationally? That's a very, very strong statement no, there. 50 suicides. That's Cork. Just in Cork? Yeah. Wow. We had we had four there in about two months, April, May. But you're, you're providing a public service. Uh, you, you've got to put money aside every every week or every month, I imagine, because your car is going to wear out. Yes. You pay a full price, and full VAT, full VRT uh, on that vehicle that's going into public service. Exactly. And before we can put that car on the road, it has to go down for an NCT test. And then it has to go up for an SGS test, which is 250 before we can put a brand new car. Never heard of like before. Our license went from three euro to two hundred and fifty with a stroke of the pen. So the Irish government are essentially saying that Nissan or Ford or Lexus or Mercedes or whatever car brand you wish, uh, when they deliver a new car, oh no, we can't trust that. We must get it tested first at cost. Exactly before we can put on the road. Ridiculous. Yeah, but like I could go on and on and on, but there's two things that pisses me off completely is that we put thousands of men out of work digging tough and yet we're bringing tough peace from Germany Lithuania on the road burning, fo- burning fossil fuels we're trying to yeah, save the planet from yeah and we're importing that the, the, the diesels the fumes they're uh, spreading taking that from Germany Lithuania to Ireland and we put thousands of men over the walk what sense have we got in this government people want to wake up because you know just through what someone said the circus has had to give up because all the clones are in to die. <laughs> uh, I'll give you a quick analogy, and I've used this many times because I've been saying this for years and no one's ever listened. I've said it to Michael Martin uh, live on air. I've said it to Simon Coveney live on air, and I've said it to Michael McGrath live on air. Uh, amongst other politicians over the years on this program, uh, if you guys were allowed to buy a public service vehicle, a taxi, with no VAT or no VRT, that would put you in the game of providing a luxury, safe, and quality fleet 
to the country. Much as you see in emerging nations, much as you see in the poverty, poverty-stricken Canary Islands 50 years ago. They had the best of Mercedes. Now they are thriving, okay? Uh, they're the tourism destination of choice, uh, the garden, the playground, really, for Europe, even in the winter. Uh, if that happened, uh, you're going to have less emissions. So that's a win. Uh, you're going to ha- yeah, you're going to have much better safety on the road. You're going to have a much better impression for tourists who come in here. But every successive government, and I know this is an old chestnut of mine, every successive government here treats tourism as an import industry because all they see is tourists coming in. It's actually an export industry, and we're exporting memories, and we're charging very well for the privilege. Thank you very much. Ireland of the welcomes. If the tourist is happy and having a, a decent fleet uh, that's cost-effective and able to be afforded by you, the drivers who are providing the public service, uh, is a factor uh, in providing for this export industry because it's an export industry. It brings in foreign capital. And successive governments have been blind to this. We should start by allowing you guys... Uh, because the car is going into public service, and I'm not saying you can sell it to your son, John, in a year. No, I'm not saying that. It has to go into public service for 10 years. Then you can sell it off. I okay. quite agree with you. I quite agree with you. The BRT on the taxis is like a private car. I can go to the Canary Islands and buy a brand new Mercedes for around twenty to 25000 It's at least 60000 here to buy the same car. Ger, I, I, I do feel for you. I've got friends in the taxi industry. I know they're struggling. I know they're putting in extra hours and coming home very tired and wondering what it's all for because everything seems to be taken from them. Overregulated, overtaxed, and now the overburden of the huge fuel costs. Have to leave it there, Ger. Thank you very much. Good morning. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. I'm ringing in for the Elton John competition. That's not Elton John at all. Sure, it's not Eve. Hi. Hi. Is it Eve? You have a lovely spelling to your name. A-O-I-B-H. How is it properly pronounced? Yeah, it's Ave. 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 Yeah. Ave. Okay. Um, that singer in the background, who is it? Olivia Rodrigo. And what happened Olivia yesterday? Rodrigo. What happened yesterday? I ran into her while she was buying a crepe. <laughs> she was buying a crepe? <laughs> yeah. Where was this down? Pan, I suppose, was it? It was, yeah. So I'm working in Brown Thomas and I saw her in Brown Thomas and I just followed her straight out the door and into Gino's across the road. <laughs> so you recognised her straight away, yeah? Yeah, we heard whispers that she was in the shop. So I saw her coming down the escalator. She had a cap and a mask on, though. She was very subtle. She was very unassuming. Okay, and did you approach her in Gino's on Patrick Street? Or Gino's is on Winthrop Street, is it? It's just across the road from Brent Thomas. Not <laughs> not sure the name of the street. Yeah, 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 okay. And uh, did you approach her there? I did, yeah. I waited for her to order her crap. I waited outside and then I walked in and I said, Olivia, and she was like, hello. And I was like, hi. I was like, I just wanted to say hi. I was like, sorry if this is really annoying. Um, and she was really, really lovely. Her security guard like took a photo of us and everything. And she asked me my name and then introduced herself. As if I didn't know who she was, <laughs> which was pretty obvious. Uh, that's but that's, that's a lovely, lovely story. I, I remember when uh, when M people came to town. You know, Heather Small with a big beehive top of her head. Uh, she was oh, one, yeah. she was wandering around town trying to be innocuous, but you don't get many beehives walking around Cork. Uh, and she <laughs> went into Benetton, which is on Patrick Street at the time, and was buying some stuff in there. Uh, but it, it's nice, you know. They, they say Bono can walk around Dublin and never be hassled. He might get the odd shout across the street or something. Uh, but you can essentially yeah. be left alone. Harry Styles was wandering around Grafton Street looking for a restaurant and getting thrown I out saw. of them because he didn't have a booking. I think Ireland's I very relaxed he went that way. For a swim as well. 
But listen, thanks for the colour story. Uh, are you going tonight? I am indeed, yeah. Okay, I'm looking so forward to it. I wonder will she say hello to you from the stage now? Oh, I have no doubt that she will. Okay. <laughs> well done on meeting Olivia Rodrigo yesterday. In Gino's on Patrick Street, she was coming out of pennies. Well done. Thanks, Emil. Bye, thank you. Cheers, bye. thanks, bye-bye. To Line 5 and Joanne. Good morning, Joanne. Good morning, how are you? I'm good. You, know, you have a daughter of 14 with autism. That's right, and we tried to get tickets at the start and we couldn't get them, so we put a few ads up online, but um, the majority of the people that we got back to wouldn't sell them back through Ticketmaster, and we had actually got two tickets, but we got a text message a couple of minutes later to say that they were scams not to buy the tickets, so obviously she's devastated because she can't go, um, and I was just wondering if anybody had two tickets that they'd be willing to sell to the show for us. Yeah, once again, the only safe place to get your tickets is Ticketmaster. It's Don't Ticketmaster. be accepting getting a a WhatsApp QR code or anything, because they could be used, they go in before you and you can't get in. So you you, you were trying yeah. to go the right route and get them resold back through Ticketmaster. Uh, yeah. So your daughter still thinks she's going tonight, does she? Well, she doesn't. And she's devastated for the last couple of days and we're trying to get them and just no joy anywhere, really. Okay, we're trying as well, but I think it's more powerful if we ask everyone out there, uh, is there anyone yeah. who has tickets tonight they could sell genuinely? Uh, to uh, Joanne and her daughter, 14, who has autism and really, really wants to go and see Olivia Rodrigo. Cork's number one. Talk. Thank you. Don't know how that happened, uh, but we'll have to leave it there. Thanks very much. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. And my apologies to Abe for that little car crash there. What actually happened was the uh, Olivia Rodrigo song we were playing in the background to uh, enhance her case and put her case forward inadvertently ended and uh, fired the ad break automatically. So apologies there, Ave, uh, or to Joanne, I beg your pardon, Joanne, not Ave. Uh, Joanne's daughter is 14 with autism and we're putting a plea out there. If anyone has genuine tickets to sell uh, for uh, uh, Olivia Rodrigo this evening live at the Marquee, then there's a very worthy recipients waiting to buy them for you uh, and do them gener- uh, do it genuinely. Connor wants to sing with Olivia Rodrigo. Is that right, Connor? Yes. Uh, okay. How how do you think we can get that to happen? Do you think? Um, um, I don't know. How um, old are you? I'm I'm eleven. Okay. There was a young man called Charles who held up a sign in front of Garth Brooks at a concert in America in a stadium. And Garth Brooks saw it and he brought him up and uh, he sang with him. So I wonder if you could, if all it needs is the right sign, okay? So yeah. I, I don't know what to advise you here, but uh, how old are you again? 11. 11, okay. Uh, what I would say on the sign is, I'm Connor, I'm 11, I want to sing with you. Big sign. Yes. Yeah. And uh, maybe she'll see it and maybe she'll let you up on stage, yeah? Yeah. That might be a good idea. I don't know. Anyway, let's bring your dad on. Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. This is not about this. Uh, this is a big ask, but let's hope that some of the crew uh, are listening. Uh, the Olivia Rodrigo crew yeah. setting up at the uh, at, at the live at the marquee right now. Uh, this mm. is a, this is a big ask, but it's a big dream, I guess. Yeah. Uh, a big it fan for a, a while. Dream for him. Yeah. Big dream. What song <laughs> would he sing? Uh, of him. What are you going to sing? Combines. Uh, good for you. Okay, well, I'd play that for you on the radio, but I don't have time right now. Uh, we're just going to okay. have played one song. Uh, so, look, what's the plan? Are you going to make a sign? Are you going to make representations, go down early, ask the crew? Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, well, often, it's often a great spectacle when youngsters get up and sing with stars. Uh, it can also, of course, be a minefield. It can all go wrong. Yeah. yeah. That's true, too. Do you think she's yeah. the type of person who let you up? 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we, we we put the message out there. Make yourself known to security or to or whatever or to the production crew when you go down. Uh, but I yeah. think possibly the only way you'll get to do it is to, is, is to have a sign that catches her eye uh, and, and hope that it goes for the best. But we wish you all the very best in your dream. You're going anyway, Connor, are you? No, no. where he's going oh. to listen outside. Oh, that's, that's like saying, I, I want to win the lotto. Well, meet me halfway and buy a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> we tried our best to get tickets. All right. Yeah. You know yourself. Maybe go. Happened. Maybe go to the Ticketmaster office this evening and see. Well, number one, if you're going to sing with her, you're going to have to get in, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the first thing. Bring the sign just in case. Yeah. Uh, but we wish you all the very best. It looks like a long shot, Connor and Brian, to be honest. But look, the very yeah. best with it. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Thanks. All the best. Uh, Bye-bye. Trying to get to yet another letter. Uh, Off topic now, but uh, this is concerning a topic we did have on the uh, programme this week. Uh, Hi, Mick. Lovely to hear you back on the show once again covering Neil's holidays. And speaking of holidays, I would love to bring this to the listeners' attention and find out if there are many others who feel as I do. As you know, the National School Children got their holidays on Friday. Now, don't get me started on teachers' holidays, says the letter. That's a story for another day. But what's bugging me is these parents are giving out already. And it's going to be a long summer and complaining about how they'll keep the kids entertained. I even saw one mother on Facebook writing, counting down the days till September. And another saying, she felt like she was in jail. Her kids were now home with her full time. Do these parents realise school is not a babysitting service? Like, what do they expect schools to stay open for them? The hilarious thing then was these two mothers in particular were stay-at-home mothers, so they don't even need to pay for the creche or childminders. I just can't understand it, the audacity of these selfish mothers. Maybe it's because their coffee mornings are no longer uh, available in their quiet time. These mothers love acting the victim, especially single mothers. And this is another issue I have. So many women now throughout social media getting IVF, trying too hard for children. Then when they have them, all they do is complain. Seriously, they go out there sharing their stories of how they want to get pregnant, document all the flowery stuff, but then when they have them and realise the hard work, all they do is complain and moan. They need a reality check. They go on saying, being a mum is the hardest job in the world. I'm sure it is. But you were the one who chose to get pregnant and have the child. So please, shut up moaning, complaining, stop playing the victim. It's getting a bit old now. Love the show and I've got full details here. Uh, but please don't read out anything more than my first name or I will get targeted by some of these mums, I imagine. That came from Lorraine. Sweeping statements in there. Uh, some unfair statements in there, perhaps. Uh, it's up to you to decide. Uh, but we read the letter which came into Neil at redfm.ie. By the way, our phone line's 0818104106 and you can text the programme as normal on 0868104106. Brilliant vocal, Sam Smith singing Elton John's Daniel. Good morning, Carol Corkery and Bally Villan. How are you, Carol? Hi, how are you? I'm they, good, thanks. Did they tell you you were on the short list, yeah? I am, hopefully. Okay, well, you haven't won, I'm afraid. No, oh, oh, I'm only joking. You're going to Elton John. That's great. Thanks a million. Fabulous. You're going to take your niece, I'm told, yeah? I am, Ava. She's a huge fan. I've been trying to win all week for her, so she'd be delighted with Ah, me. brilliant. Well, I said we'd play an Elton John song. Never said it was going to be Elton himself, but that's a lovely version from the album Revamped. We played the Ed Sheeran version of Candle in the Wind the other day, and nice to get that one in there as well from Sam Smith. So well done. You're heading along thanks there and enjoy the concert. And, thanks uh, for everything. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. And on the subject, thanks, thanks bye-bye, although of Olivia Rodrigo, uh, she's Grammy-nominated uh, Grammy and a critically uh, acclaimed singer-songwriter, Olivia uh, Rodrigo, closing out. <laughs>
live at the Marquee this evening, bringing the Marquee season to an incredible end. Please note, uh, the gates are open at 6.30pm. There'll be no queuing permitted before 5pm. And a brilliant show last night, apparently, from Nile Rogers and Sheik. Brilliant show from Tommy Tiernan and a marquee debut from uh, Joanne McNally. Uh, hats off to Christy Moore. Another sellout date in the 15 years the marquee's been running. He's performed there 14 times. And that's a record for the event and uh, for the venue. Unforgettable dates this year as well with Dara O'Brien and Jenny Green of the RT Concert Orchestra. And Peter Aiken said, great to be back and finish the 22 uh, live at the Marquis season with the truly global superstar Olivia Rodrigo. And uh, here's a big statement from Peter Aiken. I believe the next time we see her here will be in Parky Kiev. And he'd like to thank the local authorities, Cork County Council, the people of Cork themselves, the Gardaí, and everyone who helped make live at the Marquis such a success. Roll on next year. And uh, now we have finally on the programme today, Councillor Mick Nugent. Morning, Mick. Morning, Mick. How's it going? Very good. Now, uh, this day, ten years ago, Blackpool was underwater. What do you remember? Yeah, geez, yeah. I was just, yeah, I was just saying to one of your lads there. Yeah, um, I happened in Blackpool a couple of times actually over over the years, like. But um, I just remember being down there with uh, Tommy Gold. Um, I suppose in the aftermath of it, and just talking to a number of business people, um, particularly the the shop there, the the Centra at the time, and that you know, so people were obviously upset and badly affected by it, like Mick. And yeah, there was pubs with twenty know. feet of water in their cellars. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, and look, it's been an issue over the years, as you know, in Blackpool, and trying to trying to deal with it, um, deal with flooding in Blackpool. And look, there's there's a plan there at the moment um, with the OPW. Hang on, hang on. Ten, ten years later, there's only a plan. I was going to ask you what remediation yeah, works well, taking place. Yeah, in the well, yeah. Well, I suppose it emerged five or six years ago, and there was you know some the process is probably slow. It goes through consultation and that. Um, the plan that's there. Now, look, it's not one that finds favour with everybody in the area either. There's different views on it. Um, you'll be culverting a section of the river there in Blackpool near Archer Court. So there's different views on it, Mick. Um, and I know there's a legal case there. So it's been delayed, actually. So it's, it's been delayed, the plan to deal with uh, flooding in Blackpool. But, you know, it's just something that needs to be addressed one way or the other, you know. Okay. Now, th- this was a two-hour downpour apparently, that caused 10 million worth of damage. But that's not really what we're here to talk about. You've had an idea for one of the city centre's vacant coffee pods. I don't know why they're uh, vacant, because coffee is one of the most profitable items you can sell, but uh, what idea have you had, Mick? Yeah, I just mentioned that uh, the Joint Police Committee meeting there recently. Um, I don't know, had you seen it? There is a garage station has opened up in the Connell Street in Dublin to deal with the issues. I suppose anti-social behaviour on O'Connor Street and the surrounding keys there. No, I wouldn't say we're anywhere near the, the levels there in Cork City Centre, but there has been some concerns over issues in in town, I suppose. Um, number of brawls and that on anti-social behaviour. And a feeling maybe that the presence of the guards and the visibility isn't what it could be. So I just suggest one of the coffee pods, um, there's a number there, I think there's only one maybe. No, there might be three there on the boardwalk just an idea that it could be a pop-up shop or a permanent presence. Pop-up uh, cop shop, you mean? Yeah, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's a good way of putting it, pop-up cop shop, you know, but it could be presence, you know, it could be somewhere where the guards, if they are on the beach in town or bicycle patrols, they could go back there, there could be information for members of the public, maybe tours, it'd be very visible, um, I think it might be, you know, it might be of some comfort for people in the city centre, 
Well, a, we- a well lit and signposted pop up guard station yeah, for weekends, yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah, and it could be somewhere idea. as well. Yeah, I think somewhere you know people could get information on various schemes as well. They could you know have an appointment there with, with community guards or guards, and you, know, you might have some civilian backup there. And make there could be you know why not? It could be twenty four seven thing. You know, it could be run on this and yeah. alongside aligned with the guard shifts as well. You know, yeah, and it's, um, it's, it's already the buildings are already there. But I have to leave it there, Mick. But good idea, and thanks for the memories in Blackpool as well. well Thanks yeah, a million. Uh, and I've just been handed by uh, our show's producers. By the way, the uh, show's been produced today by Seamus Wheelahan, by Kevin Galvin, and by Claire O'Connor. They've just handed me this. Cork Independent put up a thing. You're not really from Cork if you haven't. And Robert Graham said, if you haven't listened to Cork's Red FM and heard callers call Neil uh, Mick Mulcahy or Mick Mulcahy Niall or Neil, and neither DJ and all the listeners in Cork take a blind bit of notice as it's completely normal. Yep, it's completely normal. Talk to you tomorrow after 9 o'clock news. Good morning. Neil Prendeville, the voice of Cork. Weekdays 9 to 12. Cork's Red FM.